Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 122. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast to feature interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. Joining me for this episode are my good friends Andrew Carter and Eric German. The three of us get together to talk about the Metallica movie-going experience. We saw 72 seasons in the movie theater, and then we talked all about the album in depth, track by track, the state of all things Metallica, and the future of the band. Andrew is an entertainment attorney for one of the large movie studios, as well as a journalist and the former deputy editor for Terrorizer magazine. Eric German is also an entertainment lawyer. His clients include Five Finger Death Punch and Ice Nine Kills, who will both be on tour with Metallica over the next couple of years. And as longtime listeners of the show will know, they are both massive Metallica fans. Remember, the best way to support the show is to leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Write a nice little review on Apple Podcasts. Those really do help. You can also support the show on Patreon, follow Speaking Destroy on social media, and keep up with everything I am doing at ryanjdowney.com. So here it is. My conversation with Andrew Carter and Eric German. This is Speak and Destroy. Speaking of Troy, Metallica Roundtable, that's what we got here. We've got our three horsemen that we assemble, uh, particularly when there's some type of Metallica cinematic event, which wasn't necessarily on purpose. But if you kind of go back through the history of it, uh, you know, if we can include, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel hosted All Within My Hands thing was kind of, was that broadcast somewhere? Uh, the SM2. The 40th shows, which were shown over some kind of Amazon thing. So we've just, you know, the drive-in during the pandemic, we've done a lot of the three of us. So I want to introduce everybody really quickly. As longtime listeners will know, we have the great Andrew Carter, former deputy editor for Terrorizer, longtime troubadour uh, journalist, and a, uh, shall we say, high-powered attorney for a large movie studio that shall remain nameless, dealing in uh, music and sync licenses and so forth. And then we have another attorney, the great Eric German, who works with bands like Five Finger Death Punch and Ice Nine Kills, who will both be on tour with Metallica for the next two years, and Asking Alexandria and a whole host of other bands that you have heard of and listened to and have guested on this show. So welcome, gentlemen. We did it. Hey, Ryan. Another uh, another great day in Metallica history today. Indeed. Thank you. Yeah, it is good to be back. And also, um, I have to mention that uh, the Metallica 40th anniversary shows were broadcast on Coda, 
Yes, Coda. How could we forget? <laughs> As you remember, I think there were band members that were wondering about that up to the yeah, very last. I think, I think there was some questions about what is Coda, for example, amongst amongst uh, many of the Metallica faithful, one might say. Uh, yeah, so an album, sort of, kind of. So yeah, we are here as we are speaking. Um, we're, we're recording this a couple of hours from the West Coast release date of Seventy Two Seasons, the first Metallica record since Hardwired in twenty sixteen. It's been a minute, but that's what Metallica does. And I think something that is uh, too often overlooked is how busy. Because if you look at their discography and you go look at these gaps between records, it's really overlooking the considerable work that they put in in doing all kinds of other creative stuff in between like movies and uh you know quickly i'll just say my first metallica cinematic experience was seeing some kind of monster at the sundance film festival which is a story i've told on the podcast before uh so i won't i won't belabor it here but uh, there was that and then there was probably the most analogous to what we did tonight my buddy jeff kresge and i went to go see the big four live from Sophia theatrical experience in Burbank, uh, which was, I think it was, I mean, it had to be edited down, right? Cause it was four sets. It was broadcast. I think maybe in theaters, maybe a week after the show had happened, but the historic, you know, big four show. And that was incredible because we didn't know who was going to be there. We thought it might be a couple other dudes in their forties, and it was packed, completely sold out. Most of the crowd were young thrashers with like bullet belts, denim jackets, fresh, crisp, like Dark Angel t-shirts and looked to be in like their late teens, early 20s. And during Slayer and some of Metallica, there was a pit in the theater in front of the screen. <laughs> My experience tonight was pretty different from that, but somewhere in between there was also the Through the Never film which of course combined narrative with live performance. And I got to go to a press screening of that prior to its release. So it wasn't quite, some of the visual effects weren't finished yet, but it was mostly done. And uh, I loved it. Of course, it rather famously in, in Metallica fandom did not do well commercially, which a rare miss for them. But, uh, you know, they go do a summer's worth of festivals and they can recover that loss pretty easily. And it, and I respect the bold, uh, ambitious creative nature of it i thought it was really cool but that brings us up to you know if you google metallica movie you're also going to get hesher which is uh, an underdog film that i've championed for a long time you're also going to get uh mission to lars you're going to see johnny got his gun a lot of things that are like tangentially connected to metallica but keeping it to the movies there's this thing that we just came back from the three of us and there is a thing that they announced at the end of it which had already you know hit the metal sites even before we saw the movie tonight, but that they will be doing a live broadcast of one of these weekender shows. I believe it's one of the Texas dates. I, I wasn't really clear if it was, it, was... it was Arlington. Those are the Dallas shows. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't really clear to me if those, those are going to be like live, live, or if it's live to tape or how they're pulling that off. I assume it's being I edited presumed, or something right i presumed it was gonna the way i read it it was gonna be like a live simulcast i mean um, that would be amazing it'd be it's gonna be amazing either way but um gentlemen i'm gonna toss it to both of you we had originally planned on all seeing it together uh fate would uh, chose otherwise uh so the two of you saw it together along with eric's wonderful wife 
and uh, I saw it by myself. So tell me, what was your screening experience like? What was the crowd like? What was the vibe? How did it look in there? Super curious. Want to take it first, Andrew? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, we saw it in uh, in West L.A., in Westwood, which is um, kind of, you know, Western side of the city. And it bears mentioning that, you know, this is kind of one of the areas where a lot of entertainment people work. And we'll get to why that becomes relevant later. But uh, the, the it, it was one of those kind of nicer sort of shishi theaters where every seat, almost every seat is one of those big recliners. And most of the rows had the sort of table service where you can hit a button and they'll come and bring you menu and, and things like that. So we were in a, we were up in the second row where we didn't have that where we had to go get our own food like everybody else did, but it was overall a very nice theater. Um, it was probably three quarters full. So it wasn't completely sold out, but it was very close to it. Probably three fourths of the people in there were probably guys. And most people were between the ages of probably 35 and 55. Mm. Mm. I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit more color. I'll pick up on that. We, we walk into the place and I was wondering whether it would feel like a Metallica show. Are there, oh, clearly these are where the metalheads are. Nope, it was the night at the movies. But uh, in fact, we walked into the wrong theater, right? Andrew, <laughs> and a Mario movie was playing. And we sat down in seats and Andrew looked confused. Like, why are these guys in our seats? And I looked around. I was looking around. This does not look like a Metallica crowd. And Cranky Kong was yelling at like Princess Peach or something. And I said, Andrew, this movie is like halfway in the middle. This this is not the previews for something else. And we got up and moved to the next theater, which only looked a little bit different than the makeup of the people watching freaking yeah. Super Mario Brothers. So it was there were no bullet belts, bro. That's all that, I know. That's such an interesting point about is this going to feel like a Metallica show or a movie experience? And where's the balance between there? And yeah, in stark contrast to the big four experience, which was, I mean, I remember as Jeff and I were leaving, we were like, dude, if there were merch tables, like <laughs> right outside, the, you know, the theater in the hallway, like they would have crushed, like they would have just destroyed and sold so much merch. It was like a concert. And yeah, this mine as well tonight was much more like people going to the movies Um I got there about 15 minutes before mine started. I waited in line for popcorn for more than 30 minutes. Got in just Ooh. as the previews were ending. Oof. And the the popcorn line uh, was for a Mario screening. And there were people, I, I saw it in Long Beach. I don't know how commonplace this is, but there was there were multiple Mario-related cosplay characters on hand at the screening. Display. By the way, this we'll, we'll move we'll move past this point really quick. But that movie is crushing the box. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. But yeah, it was crazy. I mean, there were people literally dressed up like Mario and different characters and stuff, just waiting in line. And then, so you know, when I popped into the Metallica, uh, and granted, and, and this is this, I don't think this is any real indication of how well or not well the event did, because this is you know a a mall in Long Beach. But uh, a smattering of people. It was one of the smaller theaters and there weren't many people in there. There was a father and son, both in Metallica shirts, like a teenage kid and a dad who was probably about my age. And then, yeah, I would say, you know, some people in their uh, mid 50s, some couples, 
um, a handful of, of teenagers. There were three or four teenagers who were all in a group together. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if I had to guesstimate, I would say the theater was maybe 25% full. Generous. That's generous. Um, but, you know, it was nice. It was cozy. I, I could stretch my legs and almost feel like I was screening the movie alone if I, if I could close my eyes. But so, uh, but, it, but it was enthusiastic. About, People applauded. And... Talk about the format. Here, I'm sorry. To, uh, no, go one ahead. One of the things I thought that was, if it was me, to do it over again, right? I wanted to feel, and the way I kind of justified the whole night and felt about it was, what's great about this is I feel like Metallica invited me out to the car to listen to their new album. Right. <laughs> like, pulled point, me out of yeah. the club and, and Kirk and, and Robert and uh, come on. And, and we had a, and, and I think it would be cool if it was instead of the videos, which we can get to that in a moment, but I would mm. tell you, I'm, I, I, these felt like lyric videos, these videos for the most part, like my friend, yeah. a guy I went to college with directed Phil Mucci directed spit out the bone from the last album. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that with no epic sci-fi adventure. Uh, you know, this was, yeah, visuals this was lyric video quality it looks like the budgets were lower i don't know if that's the aesthetic they were really going for but if you look at a ronnie radke video or an ice nine kills video and then you look at these videos it's just not the same thing right and uh, yeah it's interesting because you know you mentioned hardwired and they did something amazing with hardwired by dropping a video for every song right upon release you know simultaneously but in that case they had hired a different director for every track. And in some of them, uh, the band didn't even participate, right? Like there's the Jonas Ockerlund one. Uh, I had him on the podcast and we we talked about it where he was filming Lords of Chaos and had the actors in character as Mayhem do one of the Metallica songs from Hardwired. So every, you know, and then there was the, uh, the Murder One song that was, I think, animated. Uh, so, but it was all very different. And I, and I think, what they were going for here was definitely a more kind of cohesive unified aesthetic because everything felt very connected, which can be good. On the one hand, I would say the glass half empty view on it is that it started to feel a little samey. And yeah, about half of these were visualizers as opposed to music videos, the music videos themselves to me while cool felt a lot like some of those pandemic era shows that you would see where it's like, oh, they filmed all this on the volume, you know, like it just it kind of looked like they went into the same warehouse <laughs> for a couple of days and banged through about half of the songs and then different visuals were created around it was like that. Headbangers ball. It was one step up from a light bulb uh, swinging from the head of the roof. House. <laughs> uh, the, the, you know, I, I, one of the songs called Shadows Follow, and I thought I was watching the Shadows Fall video directed by Zach Merck there. The, uh, <laughs> shout the, out. Uh, shout out, Zach Merck. I know I do, by the way, crushing it for Disney plus right yeah, now. With crushing it with reservations right now. Friend right. of the show, Zach Merck, we could say. Yeah. And it was directed some falling in reverse okay. videos. But, uh, but what, so the format, what I would have done, right. I would have had, because the intimacy of talking to the guys, first of all, let's just talk about the visual aesthetic, their up looks of their faces. Uh, shout out to James Hatfield for the black Sabbath, never say die shirt. Right. Throughout the entire yes. thing. The uh, uh, I thought that it was cool that they show them and they show them looking like men of their age. And there seems to be something in the photography and in the way these things are shot where there is no attempt. And I think James even says in this something about the more side 
of his true self that he shows, the more comfortable he gets. And, you know, uh, something to that effect. I'm sure I'm misquoting, but it was poignant at the moment. And I think that there's something about these guys are not afraid to show who they really are. And I think that's part of the theme here. And I think that's part of the 72 seasons, the whole concept of growing and, and showing that age. So there's an intimacy in the way that they're presenting themselves. They're not looking like made up rock stars. They're looking like real people bearing uh, themselves artistically for you. And I thought that that was cool. And I thought that I felt like I was hanging out, listening to the record with them when they talked yeah. about uh, the songs. And I think what they should have done was kept a camera and literally take you inside the studio and sit there and just pan around and watch different guys rocking out the different parts. And like it would have been if you were hanging out with them listening to the record for the first time, if they, if they tagged you, you know, I'm an entertainment lawyer, right? How many times, Ryan, has someone been like, come on, dude, let me just play the song in the, you know, yeah. like yeah. demo itis, right? Anyway. Yeah, yeah I think it, it was also too, I think another thing that they, that they did to kind of accentuate the contrast and make it a little more personal, but also that show that they were, you know, men of their ages, that all of the band segments were filmed in black and white. And in contrast to, and I believe all of, there was one of the, song videos was black and white computer graphics but i believe all of the other videos were actual color so it was whenever you had conversation and then there were shots at the beginning and end where you had all four band members sitting shoulder to shoulder on a couch but most of the uh when they were actually introducing the songs it was normally one band member at a time sitting on one chair in one empty room with like an open like a window and trees behind them and so and it was only ever one band member talking at a time no one was ever kind of sitting shoulder to shoulder or talking over one another and so it was it was an effective way to kind of set things up and and but also right just sort of make it feel like you were just sort of hanging out with them in a formal way i guess yeah i liked the joking around the kind of blooper reel at the beginning where there was a lot of personality and seeing them interact with each other. And I, and I think Andrew, you know, you and I both having the journalist background, we know from many years of experience at this point that, you know, the ideal setting for an interview is one person from a band or possibly two people, because when you get an entire group, you tend to have three people sitting looking bored while one person's talking or you have you know four or five people that spend all their time together that have known each other for decades that live in a bus together and everything's a big inside joke that you're not in on and yeah. so you know it can really and you got you got to see some of that when it was the four of them together and Lars was like well I'm talking I have a mic you don't have a mic and there was all that kind of bantering and back and forth and he's trying to do the intro and he's like these guys are making fun of me and you know you get a lot more uh, up close and personal with those singles uh, you know when they were sitting and, and just kind of and talking and it was really interesting by the way before the thought escapes me hearing from Rob because you know we know so much about Hetfield's as fans we know so much about Hetfield's relationship to the songs we know about Lars relationship to the the thematic nature of, of different things that they've tried uh, creatively and and we know about kirk's input it was really interesting hearing rob talk about his connection to the songs because it was all very rob right surfing driving up the pch with the top down uh you know geezer butler cheech and chong yeah. none of those are things that with the exception of maybe geezer none of those are things that i would you know i wouldn't think like oh this 
this Metallica song makes me think about surfing, you know, although I know him and Kirk are, are big surf guys, but it was really interesting to just hear that and to be sort of reminded of just how subjective and how, how broad the experience really can be with music like this, where, you know, he listens to a particular song that might conjure a certain kind of imagery for me. And it's conjuring something totally different and relatable for him. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was one of the, the best parts of, in hindsight, this experience was uh, getting to share those moments. And I'm telling you, it really did help set the stage for some of the songs. Let's mm. talk right off the bat, 72 seasons, right? They talked about that being like a master of puppets type thing. James talked about the, the down picking as he gets and and they also talked about the Bay Area Thrash influence, right? And 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 it felt like a Kirk song. You saw Kirk yeah. and, and Robert engaged in a way that you didn't really see, right? Uh in the past with these songs, right? They were they were really passionately telling you how these songs were crafted, how they were created, and why. And when Kirk, when I heard and I'd listened to 72 seasons a bunch of times. And then when I heard them set the stage that way and I was listening, I turned to Andrew and I said, this sounds like Exodus. Some of these riffs do have yeah. that kind of pattern on some of the, the parts of that, like uh, the da-da-da, da-da-da. It's like Piranha, right? If you yeah, guys know that. Right? I remember you said Piranha. I remember that. Right? Yes. And, 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 and there are some, some of, a couple other uh, points in this. I really felt the connection. By the way, let's let I'm going to have to steal the thunder and say, the moment when when uh, Robert describes his Geezer Butler esque bass solos in the epic closer, that's beautiful. Like you feel that hair standing up on the back of your neck listening to him talk about what that song meant and what that particular part of that song, right? And then absolutely, uh, and that was cool. And yeah, I got lots more to say, but but that I will say those moments of setting the stage really uh, helped me to gain an appreciation the way a book club would or uh, sitting with a sommelier uh, pouring wine for you at their uh, vineyard, right? That's what I, yeah, I, I love hearing Motorhead. I loved hearing Thin Lizzy. Uh, how did Kirk say they pronounce New Wave of British Heavy Metal? He said Nwabo. I wish I'd known that 25 years ago. I know. It would be a lot of syllables. When he said Screaming Suicide was a New Wave of Heavy Metal song, a, a British heavy metal song. Of course it was. Then you listen to it and you're like, yes, of course that's what yeah. they're trying to do. There's here. a thin Lizzy guitar fun. harmony thing here. Yeah, right. okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you you hear it. And also you hear, and this is the thing with with veteran bands, right? Like I there's a riff that it was very reminiscent. I forget which song it's in, but in one of the songs it's that's very inner sandman. Uh there's a lot of stuff on this record that's very kill em all. There was a groove that was very sad but true. And it's interesting because there are certain motifs and certain signatures and components of a band's sound that you expect and you'd be disappointed if they aren't there. And there's always these uh, endless conversations about, you know, your motorheads and ACDCs and the bands that are able to kind of not deviate from their thing. And then the bands that do really adventurous stuff. I mean, this Avenged Sevenfold record, as we're taping this, there's one song out. Um, I've been privileged to have the whole record for a long time. It's going to I mean, it, it it's going to be a, a conversation piece because it, it because they 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 very much took the route of like, we're not going to make a record unless it's going to be totally, completely different. And funnily enough, the first song that they put out, they thought was the safe song that would help ease people into the record. 
and fans are freaking out about this. I, I heard, I heard is. the events. I heard the events record from someone who's heard it is the is a Beatles, uh, like uh, like a a Beatles record. Like it's it's the Sgt. It, Pepper or the White it, Album. It, it, it's it's record. definitely we we uh, licked a lot of toad venom psychedelia. So are, um, we looking, are we talking like is this going to turn out like into the pandemonium or is this going to turn out like cold lake i mean well my, my point in bringing that up is the different is to illustrate kind of you know the different modes that they can do and i feel like metallica has settled into this place beginning with hardwired where they really feel and sound comfortable with their entire catalog right. like and there were there were some stuff i mean that that album closer had a lot of load reload stuff which people hearing that based on their relationship to those records might bristle but i'm saying no 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 it's like the best parts of those records like they're not afraid to embrace that there are there's some of that staccato stuff even from saint anger happening in this record but of course the production the performances the editing the length is different uh but i i feel like this is a band really more comfortable in their own skin than they've been um in a long time maybe maybe ever and ryan i like hearing that's what it is 72 seasons that you spend your entire life trying to reconcile and Mm. here we are james headfield and looking straight in the camera they're uh, you know it's that this whole record everything about the band and their vibe right now feels like the same thing that they are live no tracks warts and all maybe there's some mistakes we we're we're going to be honest we're going to be true we're going to be ourselves and everything about it feels that way in that sense there's no cringe or there's very little and it doesn't feel uh uh silly it doesn't feel like too try hard it's not, by no means is this a record that's the equivalent of a middle-aged man with a comb over right right it, yeah it's definitely uh they're cool with so i think comfortable in their own skin is a great way to describe it and yeah, if I, and if you look back at the back of of Kill 'Em All, it's that same attitude where when you think about what the climate was when Metallica broke through, you know they're you know before they got to the Bay Area when they're in L.A. and there's the Rats and the Motley Crues and the the Spandex and the Teased Hair and the songs about chicks and partying, and then you have these you know rough looking dudes on the back of the record that look like they might be delivering the pizza or uh robbing you with a at knife point or you know what i mean just very much like we're just these like real ass dudes as they say and i feel like this is like a full circle of that the, what, what the real ass version of 60 year old guys in metallica are now yeah i think it was um just to go back to circle back to the videos one of the things that i did like is that they're with a number of the takes when they were talking about the songs they didn't do redos you know they left in the likes and the, mm. the little conversational stumbles that everyone will make. They were not, they were not perfect. And, and, and so I thought that was kind of, that, that was nice, nice that they let, uh, that they let some of those little things ride. And I think also um, to go into what you were just saying, um, I forget the name of the reviewer and I apologize, but the guy who wrote, who reviewed the album for the wall street journal this week, he actually did not give the album a very good review, but he did say something that I that I think really applies here. He said Metallica have been doing this for what forty years now, and they're still making records like they have something to prove. Mm. And he meant it in a really good way. And and he's right because there's, I mean, this is just a relentless was it seventy seven minute barrage of music. I mean, there's not there's no ballad on here, you know. 
<laughs> yeah. Do we get into it? Do we, do we talk about the songs? Because I, I got yeah. lots to say yeah. about that. We can do it. Yeah, let's run through the track. I've had it, gentlemen. I'm all yeah, here. So. Yeah, I mean, look, you want to run it track by track, guys? Or, yeah, or... let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll just start, like I said, with 72 Seasons. I heard the, the old school Bay Area thrash influence in the riffing, especially under the verse, a little bit differently because Kirk Hammett introduced the song that way. Uh, I heard uh, the song, first of all, in some ways, that's one of the sneakiest, catchiest songs of the four that came out first. Obviously, mm-hmm. Lux Eterna, you can't stop. Everybody sings that. At the, I mean, that's just so immediate, right? One of the things that this record is not, though, for the most part, is immediate. It it feels like almost every one of these songs reveals itself on repeated listens in a Absolutely way. Absolutely agree. That, Absolutely. Uh, you're not as stoked on it on listen one as you are on listen four, right? And 100% uh, agree. I, I, I guess I want to say, you know, from a guy that coaches bands on on songs all the time, you know, I it, maybe there's something in the songwriting. It's just not as pop oriented right and it's not as you know maybe as catchy overall um but 72 seasons honestly all four of the songs that came out before the record in hindsight were uh some of the better songs in a lot of ways there are some high some extreme highlights that really made me jump out of my seat but though maybe i'm just getting more familiar with them and when i saw for example uh darkness has a sun Tonight wasn't that didn't that feel great the way they introduced it with such passion and talking about how it was going to be live and then when you sat there and you felt it you're like oh shit this is going to rule live that's going to be a staple of their live set for a long time and this night helped me to realize that but back to seventy two seasons one of the best songs in the album total ripper I uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan it's a, kind of a weird kind of bulky title but it's uh it's a great freaking song you guys what do you I think it's a good overture for the entire record. Um, I think it it's um, it's a great introduction song. I like the fact that they actually, they talked about whether they were going to open the record with Lux Eterna or 72 Seasons. Mm-hmm. I like the decision to do this because it's the less obvious one. But it does cover, um, you know, it's it's a lot of just very, you know, some, you know, some were more complex, but it was just, it felt like one, like kind of semi-complicated section after another. And so if you go back and, and you know, for those of you who have been Metallica-ing for a long time, you remember the first time you heard And Justice for All, how exhausted you were after all yes. that? There were yeah. so many changes and so many riffs. And I felt like like the first listen through tonight, for me, I felt very much kind of the same way where I was like, wow, okay, there is a lot to take in here. And it was... And I think this one kind of sums up the entire record in that, you know, in the seven minutes and 39 seconds that this thing run, it feels like there were about six or seven very distinct s- sections. And now, unlike Eric, what I, I've made it a point to listen to each of the four songs that have been released, not like a couple of times so I can get familiar with them, but I'm, I'm still, it's so very 20th century, but I'm very much an album guy. And so when people release albums, mm. I listen to the whole record. So what I, what I try not to do. Oh, Hey, and Lars was talking about sequencing. So, I mean, he's right there with you. When a band front loads in what land, like I'll listen to a couple songs to get familiar, but I want to wait and hear it within the context of the album. So this is still, I'm, I've heard each of these songs fewer than five times. Uh, yeah. And- I I've been, I've been listening to these four on repeat in, in, in anticipation of this. And also I've got a lot going on because I'm working behind the scenes for uh, 
uh, a couple of the acts that are on this tour and everything. So I've been immersed in Metallica world. And I think I've said the word Metallica every hour on the hour for about the last like <laughs> yeah, two like, weeks. Like, right? like, like, like me when I'm have nothing to do with Metallica. I'm saying Metallica every hour on the hour for the 20 years that I've known you. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I, I'm literally yeah. wearing a shirt right now for your audio listeners that says, uh, uh, can you guys see it? Headfield Ulrich 24. <laughs> I didn't see what the whole thing said. <laughs> but the, uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a fan. But the, uh, um, you know, uh, this, this this entire record, uh, it, it feels sonically, I think it's very well produced. I don't think songwriting wise, you know, I, I could see some of these songs, you know, a, a suit or something saying they're not catchy enough in the first instance, except for Lux Eterna. The 72 Seasons uh uh is everything i want in a modern metallica song and uh i think the more you hear it andrew the more time you spend with it it's a really great one and yeah, uh, right. if we want to stay in sequence i don't know if you have more to say about that but i've got well, some let, me, let, later, me, let me jump in yeah. on 72 just real quick uh because also the the overview that each of you gave which is great and i agree with both of you uh I got a text from our mutual friend spencer of ice nine kills uh right before we jumped on and he asked how's the album and my gut response was, I said, great, exclamation point. And then I said, long. <laughs> and that's exactly, yeah, that injustice for all feeling of like, woof. And the band seems very aware of it, too, because they crack jokes about it. And, you know, at the end, you know, Lars is like, you guys still awake? Everybody's still here? And, you know, self-deprecating. And and it's not, it's not that it's exhausting in that it's difficult. Um, I, I, I loved it. And there was a lot to chew on. I just really got the sense that I need to soak it in the way that I've been soaking in these these four songs that have been out for a while now. And also we should we should talk about this while we're still in the in the broad view of everything. You know, we we're all we work in music for a living and we've we've chosen to be in the creative arts cuz we love music, we love movies, we we love all of this stuff. So there's no complaint there. But the way that we consume things isn't always ideal as a result of that, right? And there was definitely something special and interesting and unique about carving out 77 minutes or however the whole screening, I think, with all the commentary and everything was a couple hours. Lasted two, it was two, it was two hours exactly. Two hours exactly to, to carve out that time to sit in a darkened room, no phone, no chit chat and no distractions and just focus on a record. I mean, how often, you know, I mean, that's something that I did with every record as a teenager, you know, um, it's been a long time since I've had the opportunity. It was, rain, to it was raining really out in LA when we showed up and just getting dark. And it, it did feel like I got inside and it was warm yeah. and I was with my immersive. friends and I sat in a big yeah. chair. Immersive. And chair. We listened yeah. to that record tonight, the way that every band, hopes everyone listens to every record and it's just, just not one possible. problem the sound in a movie theater wasn't ideal it mm. was good but it wasn't you know some guy kept yelling in the back turn it up right yeah I, I, there was some turn it up in mind too yeah i guess i mean more just in the sense that the the focus right that it was because we're all so distracted we're all so busy and you know people watch movies at home and got a phone in one hand an ipad and another you know uh, spouse or partner, maybe talking to them, maybe they're eating food. You know, there's just like, there's always like stuff happening. And I listen to a lot of music in the car, which is, which is one kind of private meditative 
area where you can really kind of get immersed. But but this was really unique. I mean, there are other records that I would love having had this experience, and it really speaks to Metallica's constant innovation, right? Like there there are a lot of other records I, I would love to have experienced this way, you know. Mm-hmm. It sort of reminded me at times, do you remember, I don't know if we, we grew up at the very tail end of when you could go to the planetarium and see laser Zeppelin and yeah. laser. Yeah, right. and totally. remember, remember how much fun that was? And, and so. Totally uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so hey, I think, uh, what, and that was what, a fun what, communal thing where you just, everyone just kind of sat back, you know, and yeah. really just took things in. And that was, um, and, and, and I think that was, I can't remember the last time I went to a movie theater to listen to an album. Right. I can remember the last time I saw Bring Me the Horizon. I think it was That's the Spirit uh uh in in uh at UTA in their little theater because they were trying to get everybody hyped on it. But like and yeah, listening to a record like that in a communal space and everything, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty cool. I'm glad I did it. It was real easy too, wasn't it? Ryan, I know you didn't drive up here in the end and you went local. The traffic wasn't nearly what I thought it would be. I found a place to park right on the street. Oh, doing it. I mean, that was as disappointed as I was not to see you guys in person, which was at least 50% of the excitement of making this plan. When I realized that that wasn't going to happen, I'm bummed. And then I, then I also, uh, uh, it's like, you know, I'm sad, but then also like, Oh, wait a second. Five minute drive to the theater. Perfect. Right. Pretty nice. And we get to see you and do this part anyway. afterwards. But I, I, I want to ask you a question about 72 seasons. The beginning that's like surf music right like that's a song that that note that the way the pick is at the beginning of the song I, there's a surf song it's at the tip of my tongue it's something that we all hear all the time that that sounds like i i can't put my what, finger like on Dick it. dale like like are you talking what like is Miserloo? the beginning the beginning of 72 seasons that, that? Are, you, are you thinking like miserloo like like the, the thing that mean, starts pulp fiction yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah that's Dick, that? probably Dick Dale. He, he was the big surf guitar guy. Yeah, right. So it's sort of like that. Yeah. One, one last thing for me on 72 Seasons is I want to jump back to something Andrew said. Uh, you, you mentioned how in the commentary they talk about how uh, they they debated whether to open the record with Lux Eterna or 72 Seasons. And I don't know if you've been following the Stefan Shirazi. So what interviews that, you know, oftentimes, for those who don't know, Stefan Shirazi was a journalist who uh, has become, you know, sort of their, uh, what, 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 would, what would we call him at this point? He's their, of, he's their in-house, he's their in-house journalist. In-house journalist. Yeah. Great. He's the, you know, editor of So What, which was a print magazine and of course digital now, but he always does these long, uh, sparsely edited, uh, in-depth winding, great conversations with, uh, with the guys in Metallica and, and related folk over the years and they they're uh, putting out videos this time and there's been one with rob i think the whole rob one has come out and i think as we're taping this pieces of of the james interview but in the interview with james he he says that he actually wanted to call the record lux eterna and he was outvoted by the rest of the band and uh ultimately he was uh he was happy with how it turned out and he thinks 72 seasons you know sums it up and everything but um but it is interesting to kind of you know, think about those multiverse, you know, the world where the record was, would have been called that and how that might change things. And and knowing also, you know, it speaks to, of course, James and Lars are credited on every single song. But looking at this track list out of 12 songs, um, Kirk has a co-write on four of them, you know, so we're talking a third as opposed to, I think, Hardwired. I don't think he had any. And then Rob is uh, credited on three songs. 
which uh, again, in the world of Metallica, uh, for a bass player to have more than one co-write is a lot. So yeah, I think you're, you're right. I think Kirk's Kirk, I think you say he lost his phone when they were writing. Uh, or yeah. And then there, and then there's some interviews with James where James is kind of rolling his eyes at that. <laughs> so. Yes. But there were, there were more, there were more, um, it, it was, yeah, there were, there were more co-writing credits for the non Lars and James guys. Uh, on this one then i think a lot more yeah last, rob, yeah the last three or four records combined rob had one co-write on hardwired and then every other song was just james and lars so that there was no kirk at all so but so yeah i also the, the the last thing that i would, I would say on 72 seasons is there were like the first like kind of reference point that i thought when it when it, when you were thinking of earlier metallica albums and there were there were a bunch of them but i thought cyanide um from death magnetic was mm -hmm. something that i kind of circled back to because it's you know kind of in the seven minute stage and had some you know some some interesting time you know time changes and and some you know they they put riffs together back to back that you wouldn't that you wouldn't necessarily think would work but they do and i think because, <coughs> um one of my one of my favorite tracks and it's it's they're it's it it was it was i think they they made the right choice starting the record with that one and I'm just looking right now, just for the sake of conversation, um, Kirk has one, two, three, four, five, six songs, uh, co-writes on Reload. And uh, Jason Newstead had one. And uh, Load, uh, that's another record, one, two, yeah, another, wow, seven songs oh. on, on Load for uh, for Kirk and oh. none for Jason. But uh, yeah, we think of the load reload era. It's interesting seeing all these interviews because again, in the Stephen Tarazi interview, you know, James has, has talked about how they really opened up the songwriting to Kirk and Rob this time and, and really encouraged them to contribute. And, and I, I love hearing that obviously for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, the flip side though, is I remember hearing that a lot about load and reload. And, and really from a production standpoint, a performance standpoint, they were saying that a lot during the black album. Right. And then uh, load and reload, they were talking about, you know, Kirk doing more than just playing the leads, but, all, but playing, you know, a lot of rhythm guitar and stuff like that and contributing a lot more to the songwriting. So you almost kind of wonder what happened uh, between <laughs> the nineties and, and getting up into the more, you know, death magnetic hardwired era that those contributions didn't seem to be as welcome or weren't as on offer. Uh, it's interesting to think about, I guess. Ooh, yes. And so that will bring us to Shadows Follow. I which mean, we're it, all, which all of us are going to call Shadows Fall because we did yeah. too similar. That is that is uh very riffy, a little bit intricate, a little complicated, uh less uh uh less groovy, more uh angular, I would say. And uh uh you know, a cool up-tempo song that I liked, and that of course was our first taste of something we hadn't heard already right mm, so yeah at least i hadn't heard yeah. yeah i thought it was it was kind of it was it was a fairly longer complex kind of staccato intro and then once they got past that i think there's a really good kind of it's a six minute song and i thought there was a really good kind of straight line four minute song in there i thought it was like a longer beginning and maybe maybe like a longer ending but i thought it was it was interesting it, it was uh and there was that little I guess Robert mentioned it in the uh, in his intro video. There was that little descending riff towards the end that kind mm -hmm. of had that reminiscent 
of Sabbath feel. But I thought it was it was interesting. There was a lot of kind of dressing, I think, on either end of the song. But then there was this kind of like three and a half, four minutes in the middle that I thought was more of just an unusually like straight ahead, boom, 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 kind of like consistent Metallica song, which is something they don't normally yeah. do. It's pounding, and and I think there's bite to James's voice in that song a little bit, like you know, like like just just fucking sharp and and uh, less uh, wistful and less dreamy and less soulful and more metallic and biting, and uh, I dig it. Yeah, I really dug it, and and yeah, and you're right. It was it was exciting when you realized like, oh, this is a this is the first song we haven't heard yet. And uh, that takes us into Screaming Suicide, which is a song that of the four that were released before the rest of the record, I got to say that's my least favorite of the four or the one that I've gone back to the least. And I realized what it is, is that I really love the verses and I like the chorus, but that um, kind of intro riff or whatever you want to call it that, that it, that it does for a while before it gets into the verse. Uh, I just don't, it just doesn't grab me. It's a little... It's a little, it's kind of happy in a way that I just, I don't connect with uh, the way that I do. Think think of it like, um, uh, uh, you know, like a couple times, I think once in here, James said Irish and he definitely referenced Thin Lizzy (laughs) a lot, right? He did say that. Yeah, that was a little more of the later songs. But I think this was the one that Kirk talked about being the Wobble influence. Yeah, this was one. And that was something that that really, like when he mentioned that, I heard the song in a different light because I didn't hear it. And and so I was like, I liked it actually. And I was like, when it when, especially the first minute and a half of the song, I was like, how did I not hear all of these new wave of British heavy metal yeah. influence first couple of times? I was like, this is plain as day. How did I? Yeah. Same I, here. I was same thing. I didn't, I missed and, it. And so I thought it was yeah. um, that, that, that put the song in an entirely new light to me. Cause I think out of the four that I'd heard, I think it was the one that, I agree with you. It was the one that I'd connected with the least um, at first, but having that background to it, I was like, "Wait a second, hold on." I, it, it was it, it cast it cast the vast majority of the song for me in um, a much much better light, and I like it a lot more now. And I just I, I'm trying to figure out, like in in theory, I'm supposed to have fairly good ears, and I'm trying to figure out how I managed to miss this. Well, I missed it, it also. The so. entire record. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've I've gone back because it came out on Spotify two hours ago, right? And uh, I, by the way, our movie, I'm not even kidding, ended exactly at nine o'clock. And I looked at uh, uh, Andrew, pulled up my phone, and boom, there it was. The second the movie ended, the record was on my phone, right? And That's uh, awesome. I've been listening to it already a couple spins through, and I'm liking certain songs better than I even did when I was sitting. At t- I'm telling you, boys. This the the problem here, and a music industry suit kind of that is not cool and anti-artistic would say songs aren't immediate enough. The songwriting. This is the kind of thing where the AR guy would send you back and say, I don't hear the hit, right? But here's yeah. the deal. This is quality stuff, man. I'm and and I've been trying to like it in a way that was not trying to like it. Basically, what I'm saying is I've exposed myself to it enough knowing because I'm already I can already tell the more I hear it, the more I'm going to dig it. And that, and it definitely was working with the, with the four and now seems to be happening again with these songs. For example, 
I clicked, I hit mute while you were talking on Shadows Fall and I hit, clicked it again and now it's already, it's better, man. I'm telling you, this stuff is is good stuff. So, you know, if it didn't, Screaming Suicide is an awesome song. Like that song, I didn't like it the first time I heard it. I thought I didn't like it, but I know right. better than to judge it. So yeah. I spent more time with it, but I'm already there. That's, I walked into I love I, I love the verses the, the you know for a while now and the chorus is cool and 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 yeah and i think having that dakota ring that uh nuabum lens to sort of view <laughs> the, the part that i didn't connect with as much i think is going to change it for me also uh which is great yeah i mean this is you know this is a, an album that not just because of its length but because of its different textures and the twists and turns and everything like lars described that it takes it, it, it's a record that's going to beg repeated listens which tend to be the best records. If you want to move to Sleepwalk My Life Away, Let's do all it. I want to kick that Wait. off. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I want to kick that off by saying one of the things I love about this mix is you can hear the bass, but it doesn't sound like a garage band or a bar band, but it sounds like a metal band, but you can hear the bass. Uh, I, th- I think Rob sits real nice in the mix and this song uh, kicks off with with some killer bait. Yes, it does. This is the one that I think um, I remember. You know, I I enjoyed this song. It had, it had a not once again. It had a lot of nice you know different sections that were connected very nicely. And it's another song with you know seven minute running time or six fifty six if you're if you're going if you're counting the seconds. But I think this was also the first song where if you are a Metallica fan who really has little to no time for the load reload area of the band, this will probably be one of the songs where you're, 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 you're probably, it's probably not going to be your, uh, your, your cup of metal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I dug the song. Um, it's funny because, uh, you know, they're really, I mean, I'll just say this before we even go any further. There wasn't anything that I didn't like. Uh, but having said that, it's like I'm getting more excited the further we get into the track list because it was really that back half of the record for me that was um, was really exceptional. And I just well, really, if you, if you gonna, I know sk- I'm going to go back to a lot. If you want to skip ahead, I'm. Well, no, no, we, no, we don't have to. I'm just saying, no, because no, what I, I'm saying is, yeah, the very next song comes with an extra exclamation point, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this okay. was the first time that let I me, said, let me ask oh, this, this very this very uh, nerdy Metallica thing that I want to introduce, and I'm sure I'm not the first person this occurred to in the last 24 hours, was Lars acknowledging the meme when he said exclamation point. And, you know, the meme I'm talking about is the clip from some kind of monster when he says, he fucking left the band, man, or whatever, you know, period, exclamation point. And that's like a gif. It's a meme. There's a, there's a whole bunch of that, period, exclamation point was he was was that like a wink to that like did he realize as he was saying it and then kind of lean into it a little bit i it, don't it know felt like I, a wink to me. I wasn't familiar with that meme but yeah. i love the emphasis i think he was just busting like like not only is it you must burn but you must burn you know and holy yeah. shit this is a ripper somebody had told me someone you guys all know and we all love who had heard the record who has mm. the unique access to the band uh-huh. a while back there's a song on here. I said, what is the song that I haven't heard that is the best? And they said, there's a song that's the new Sabbath true. Right. And I told Andrew that before I 
and was waiting for which song is the new sad but true this song is the new sad but true yeah. is the is this friend also a friend of the show who is uh oh yes indeed he's been, in, been he's on the show more than anyone yeah. other than you two perhaps yeah. i'm just not sure what i'm allowed to say and what i'm not but well, here's uh, what's really but, interesting you know, about he you told me burn. this was just what the doctor ordered this song if you oh just what the just what the doctor ordered gotcha um you know what's great about this song and interesting and and it's so funny because i knew this going into it and then just wasn't thinking about it uh when the song started but this is the vocal debut on a metallica record of rob yeah the bridge and you must burn um which is crazy and and unique yeah it was that that was one more thing about it i think that that um i I was making a point to kind of look over our shoulder and see what was going on during the, just watching, you know, our fellow moviegoers yeah. and by a significant margin, there were more heads bobbing and nodding and banging during this song than all other ones. Cause I think it's the most immediate song on the record. And I think in terms of, does it have that feel of the, in the main riffs of sad, but true? Absolutely. It does. But what this also does is it has several different parts that will kind of do like, like, like the way that things, you know, there would be the way that say, and justice for all or death magnetic, where mm-hmm. there are lots of different sections, but that, so they managed to get the groove of sad, but true, but they have the sort of variety and or complexity of, you know, like maybe not as crazy, you know, not as maybe there were parts where I felt like it sort of jumped around, like almost like freight ends of sanity on uh from from justice but i thought it was but it fused very well together it wasn't like kind of like lurching back and forth like you were running around the court like you were you you weren't taking a 90 degree turn at 90 miles an hour and i thought it was um i think this this could end up being um this i I think it's the most immediate song and i have a funny feeling this could be the one that long term will ends up um one of the ones like if they were still a band 30 years from now, what are, you know, the tracks from 72 seasons that are still going to be in the live set, like five albums from now. I think this might be one of the ones that, that is. I agree. I, I, and where it really gets exciting because and just another sad, but true might be boring, right? Let's be honest. We've heard it before. And if you're just plodding along with a slow plotting riff, it's not 1991, it's 2023. And let's, uh, uh, but this song does, it does have progressive elements. I think that's the word you were looking for. Like, how do you have, if I told you ahead of time, here's a song that's a new Sabbath true, but it has progressive elements. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Well, if you haven't listened to it yet, pause Ryan's podcast on the same device you're listening to it and go listen to You Must Burn, but make sure you don't just listen to the first verse for us. But when you get to the the pre-solo and the solo, and, and Kirk called that out, I think, in his uh, pre-song description, so I was ready for it. But my gosh, it, it is the first time, to be completely honest, because I had heard 72 Seasons and the other stuff, this is the first time that I was like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. This is That was audible in my theater also. Um, and maybe it was also people getting a little more comfortable. But as the record progressed, people got louder with their applause and their cheering when songs you know, concluded. And this was this one was noticeably there were more enthusiasm than there had been for the the songs leading up to it. Here's, here's something we should talk about with you must burn. Maybe we're breaking the ice with it since the record's brand new songs, brand new. 
Metallica has rather famously and smartly, I would argue, avoided politics uh, for the, the majority of their career, right? And especially when you think about some of their contemporaries in thrash that we, we think about as, as, as having socially conscious lyrics or addressing, you know, whether it was the Cold War or anxiety about the nuclear coming nuclear Armageddon and, you know, whatever it is, you know, uh, televangelists, all this stuff that's been addressed in metal. You know, Metallica has touched on some of those things, of course, but they've they've been very careful to avoid any kind of divisive or polarizing politics. And, you know, the Metallica family is is big and wide. It's a big tent and everyone's accepted there. And, and we know those of us who follow the band and, and pay closer attention. We know that there's a diversity of thought, which I think is great within the band, even in terms of like, you know, uh, where their values lie when it comes to politically minded types of things. I bring all this up because, um, you know, much like maybe Eye of the Beholder was kind of about freedom of expression and the PMRC stuff of, of the day. And, you know, don't tread on me is maybe another example. Like there, I mean, certainly they, they, they touch on things, but man, this sounds like a cancel culture song. And uh, if my read on that is correct. Do you have it, the lyrics? It's rather fascinating. Yeah. I actually literally just pulled them up, uh, but it was hitting me as we were listening you know, in the in the theater, um, it was something about witches. <laughs> yeah, who's, who's, my wife. Who I have a running well, meme with her that she's secretly a witch and flying around on a broom on Halloween with a with our black cat and because <laughs> she, she's just that cool. And, well, here's, uh, well, uh, let me give you some lyrics: "Catch a fire and burn all the misery, foul thing been mob mentality, anger on the rise as the flames grow higher, choke on the smoke of the funeral pyre, backfire." Killing all we've learned, history will burn, burn it. Uh, question yourself, you you may learn who's the next witch you must burn. Uh, in the name of hell, henchmen to conspire. I'm skipping around. Uh, so it, it uh, maybe my read on it's totally wrong, uh, but, you know, it feels very hey, of the moment. You might be right, brother. You in terms of the right. cancel culture stuff. And it's just interesting because that, you know, one could could argue that that's a culture war kind of issue. Um you know, you have one side of the political spectrum that says there's no such thing as cancel culture. And so, well, it's not cancel culture, it's consequence culture. And then you have another end of the spectrum that uh, sees it as, uh, you know, running rampant and ruining lives left and right. And everyone, everyone should, is in fear of it. And, you know, and then there's probably like most things, a more balanced view that I'm sure is probably closer to just knowing you guys as well as I do what each of us feels about it, uh, which is, is that it is real. And that there that there's a lot of nuance. Uh, having said that, yeah, it's interesting if 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 this is in fact wading into that conversation. Uh, this is the yeah. bad the band that once had a song called "Don't Tread on Me," right? Yeah, and and, and I'm know, not sure what that is. Love it or leave it. And all, you know, I've always wondered how I feel about that song. Well, but, I remember uh, during during the Gulf War, there was a this might have been in the Spin magazine Black Album era cover story. I mean, we're going back quite a ways, of course, but. There was a, a, I think it was Sean Lennon maybe or Julian Lennon was organizing a Give Peace a Chance and getting a bunch of rock stars of the early 90s to come in and, and you know, speak out against uh, Operation Desert Storm. And as I recall, James Hetfield was like, nah, 
we're not we're not we're not participating in that i don't know if you've heard this don't tread on me song uh so but yeah but if they are kind of wading into that it's interesting because this record is so intensely personal and introspective and thematically i mean it seems like almost every song uh is without exception about you know kind of looking inward and this song if it is kind of a, a more kind of cancel culture song is is an interesting outlier just in the, so much that it's about something else you know societal i'm gonna i'll make a bold statement best song on the album potentially you know best song that isn't one i already heard and that maybe the last song has to be in the conversation you know Murata, is that how we say it we'll get to that in a moment right but was the, that uh, was that collectively our favorite because that was my favorite song i heard tonight I think Which I think one? in a Murata? Yeah. I think I, you must yeah. you, you must burn an in a Murata were my two, I think so far. But one hundred percent. Those are my two favorites. But honestly, uh Darkness Had a Sun really revealed itself to me to be really great tonight. That's a big, and big one for me too. I, I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say those three songs. And I love Lux Eterna just because it's so immediate, it's so motorhead, it's so kill them all. Agreed. Uh, but it's modern and it and it's and it's excited. It's enthusiastic. It gra- unlike you know the songs that were growers, that was just right away. Like oh man, this new metallic song is just killer. Yes. And and uh, yeah, and I would say of those of the four, if darkness had a son has been my favorite. And that like screaming suicide on first listen, I was like no no no, I feel about this. And uh, it's it's really really grown on me. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's funny because looking at the track list again, get that last track, the 11 minute song, is a contender for best one for me right now. If Darkness had a son, you must burn, and Room of Mirrors. I absolutely loved. That's definitely a high point for me. Really, really like that. Song. I, I like the Crown of Barbed Wire and Chasing Light too. I like those two as well. I thought they had different flavors, but maybe not. But they did. As I sat here in a darkened room and listened to 72 Seasons, which I knew really well, Shadows Follow, Screaming Suicide, Sleepwalk My Life Away, and even it, and, and when I got to that middle section, the jammy progressive part of You Must Burn, that's the first time I had the, well, I just went down the hill on the roller coaster. Like, Fuck <laughs> God, fucking let's go. And then I was like, and that also, because I felt that moment, I remembered, yeah, I could feel that moment. Why haven't I felt that moment up to this point? So, eh. and then, uh, but I remember when did I first feel that moment? And maybe the only time I felt that moment on Hardwire to Self-Destruct, and I'll tell you what it is, Spit Out the Fucking Bone, right? Mm-hmm. That time when I heard the back half of Spit Out the Bone, I couldn't believe it. I thought somebody was trolling me. I was like, Metallica's back, baby. And uh this was the first time that it came close to that on this well i i i personally love all of hardwired but there was another grower for me um and you know what that's a 77 minute record too lest we forget um and deluxe edition that i've usually rocked it creeps closer to 80 minutes uh but i I really loved hardwired but it was another record that i think like this one's going to be where every song at first was like it was pretty cool and then just repeated listens i just love and love and love it more yeah i think uh, well, well, you, you, have to, you have to also understand that i'm not saying when i'm saying uh I, there's a difference between 
like everything Metallica. I like chocolate and I like ice cream. Right, right, right. right. While I have a great fucking taste of it. No, I no, I hear you. Yeah, obviously the three Metallica super fans on the Metallica podcast aren't dogging Metallica, although it seems to be something a lot of uh, fans and air quotes enjoy doing. But that's also part of uh, the attention that the band commands is. um, well, I'm glad I hate them. Everyone's talking about them when they ever do so, something. Hey, I'm glad you have enough. I'm glad people have enough free time to actually make posts like that. But there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, pe- people, tr- people trying to dunk on Kirk's Lux Eterna solo and recording their own versions of it, and give give the guy a break. Like you wish you had half the feel that he has. Who cares about all the pentatonic scales you can play or whatever your flashy like garbage is? Like good for you. I think that solo fits the song and it has feel and it's blue scale people people just yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb i've been talking a lot about uh new school guitar players recently and i'm gonna shout out ayal levy has a band called doth that's putting out some new records uh they have some different guests and things he's very involved with urm academy and just just recorded an episode with him that will probably be out one or two episodes after this one so I've been I've been working with him on on this record and holy shit we got some stuff coming very soon from him i.e. maybe very very soon i.e. maybe the next time music drops after tonight but the uh uh it's got me focused recently on guitar playing on modern like tech death guitar players and like mm-hmm. I'm really become obsessed with Dan Sugarman's playing on the Ice Nine Kills record Welcome to Horrorwood. Uh, and and I've been talking a lot about great guitar playing and the difference between Slash or mm-hmm. Kirk Hammett and say these guys, you know, these modern uh, insane shredders. There is a difference. It's a different style. And you just have to understand that. And I'm a connoisseur of the modern insanity guitar playing. Mm-hmm. And Kirk Hammett's one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Straight up. Boom. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of a solo on Lux Eterna, um, I mean, that's that's like, you know, the the you know the sixth track on the album I I'm thinking of it in like sort of like in to in, in it's like in the whiplash position like it is on Kill 'Em All it's it's it was you know it's the last song on the first half of the record and I know it's a two LP thing but they did make it a point to say yeah Lux Eterna is the last song before the tape flip you know <laughs> and, yeah. and, I, and and I think that if they weren't going to leave the record off with it um, you know it is. Um, is it the second shortest song? It's, it's the shortest song on the record. It's the only one under four minutes, but it just, it gets in, it hit hard, it hit, it hit, hits hard and gets out. And they could actually put it on a seven inch if they wanted. And <laughs> yeah, you know, um, <laughs> fantastic so, song. It's easy yeah. and straightforward. And you want more flavors of Metallica. I think one of the hard things in the era of, I remember a day where I didn't hear these songs until the album came. Right. And now when you're dropping four select tracks and you're hearing them one at a time and you hear one and then you don't hear something else for the next month. And you're wondering mm-hmm. Metallica's type of band is kind of hard to capture all the flavors in any one song. You need that record that takes you on that journey. And so, Andrew, you may have done yourself a favor by not uh, experiencing some of this stuff in advance. But uh, I agree. We, 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 we dropped six songs from the new Demon Hunter record before the release date which is the, the first time you know it's album 11 it's the first time we've ever done that with them 
and uh the record is itself it's a concept record there's a four issue comic series that comes with it and there's a lot of uh sound design and and uh, interstitial stuff on the deluxe like it's a immersive record and it has a lot of different flavors and the first song that we dropped didn't doesn't sound like any of the other songs on the album and we kind of had to say and it was interesting because out of the six that we did um one of the, the one that we probably expected to connect the least ended up being the song that like got on every spotify playlist and is you know records been out for three or four months and it's like you know two and a half million streams on that song and and uh yeah there is it's just the, you know the attention economy and and um Having a so Lux and Turner came out, out of the box and ripped our faces off. And you said, what is this album going to be? Kill them all? Redux? Is this uh, uh, like what what is uh, uh, what is this going to be? And is this too much of a motorhead or or is this too easy? Is this hit the lights part two or whatever? And, it, you know, it, it is all those things, but it's, yeah, or it's the song so rad. You know what I mean? And I'm glad it exists. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, just, uh, there's not, you know, this is the song everybody's the most familiar with right now as we record this podcast. And I think generally in the world, this is the song that everybody's most familiar with. And you've talking about a song that's played 30 years from now, Andrew, when these guys are 90, by the way, so there may not be a 30 years, but the, uh, uh, it, it's, but this is going to be in a set forever for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. and it's and it's so short. Although you know, we heard we did hear Rob talking about the the uh, the old the old arm <laughs> having to warm up a hey, little. You want to recap what he said there? That was really interesting. Uh, yeah, right. He was talking about how uh, he he when they first started rehearsing that song, he tried to sneakily play it with a pick, and Greg Fiddleman, who you know came in with Rick Rubin on Death Magnetic, and then has stayed and just been the sole producer on Hardwired and on this record and, you know, right there in HQ with them. Some fiddleman kind of came on the talk back and was like, uh, Rob, were you uh, playing that with the pictures now? And he's like, ah, oh, he noticed. And he's like, he didn't play it that way on the record. So he played that way live. <laughs> and yeah. And he was just saying it's because of the, the attack, um, that the song is so constant and insistent and he's got to, he's got to really stretch and warm up the forearms. And, and, uh, and Ryan, do you think they'll use these this these intros for short foreign content post this this film? In other words, I was actually wondering if the whole film might just show up on their YouTube channel because uh, I think this was a one time event, right? That's, that's, yeah. I, I, that, that's what I think is going to happen. I think these will all be on YouTube within the next little while. If they're not, by the way, there were people in my screening filming parts of the movie with their phones. And I'm sitting there watching people holding their phone in the air, filming the music video for 72 seasons, uh, you know, and, and just and I'm just thinking like, this is on YouTube, you know, like looking a million times better than it's looking on your phone. Like, what, do you, like, what is the what are we doing with this? I, I pulled out my phone for the tour ad at the front because I wanted of to, of course, yeah. I wanted to show the uh, the five finger death punch and ice nine kills to my guys. Right? Absolutely. Which was very, which was a very cool moment to see the the all the band. I mean, and also Metallica. I, t- not- I told Spencer on the way home, Ryan. I said your logo is in theaters across the, uh, you know, around the world, maybe or yeah, uh, which which uh, they didn't have to do, right? Because Metallica, Metallica, unlike most bands, doesn't need openers. You know, they could do an evening with. They could take stand up comedians as they've done before. So not only do they have this great lineup of openers, but 
to put it to put the openers out front and on display like that at this event i thought was it was really classy it just shows how much they care about taking care of the whole community so to speak by the, by the way if if we uh went to well i mean do you want to talk about crown and barbed wire it's supposed to kick off side two side two yeah well let's let's jump into side two and let's maybe put a pin in this for later or let's maybe tear through it now but the whole thing about luxaterna and, and rob's arms and and you know and james talking about the down picking and i've seen other interviews you know where lars talks about his shoulder and we have yet to see right like we have paul mccartney out there killing it we have the rolling stones still out there crushing but we haven't seen a band that plays music this aggressive this intense this fast reach the age of the beatles or the stones physically yet and now we have now we're at a point where dave mustaine is 60 you know uh metallica guy like everybody's kind of right around that age um you know it's a great down picked song for a guitar player that's in the news right now and let's just mention it and avoid it McMars uh a uh, live wire like dan that's that's the that's in my opinion the best motley Crue song uh but we're gonna be seeing now in the next 10 15 years uh for the and for the you know metallica constantly being leaders in the genre how long can you physically play this kind of music and and this it'll be a lesson for everyone but i mean as as james has pointed out before three out of four of the big four front men have had neck surgery, um, you know? And so, yeah, what, what happens when you're 70 playing Lux Eterna, you know? So it'll be interesting, you know, looking at Metallica sort of guideposts and, and, and bring us back around to something you were saying, Eric and Andrew, both of you were saying how, how uh, intimate and honest and naked they're being with the photos and, and really kind of just, being really true about reflecting who exactly they are right now is yet another like you know for those of us who've grown up with the band it's a it's a great way to sort of look to like you know how do how do we age gracefully how do we still keep kicking ass and not be the you know person with the dyed beard and (laughs) you know what i mean if you want to age gracefully what i learned tonight is two words leather pants yes (laughs) but a lot of leather pants on uh, tonight right there yes, were a yeah, lot of leather band bands. was wearing them. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think, and and it's also just in terms of just you know the the physical, you know, the, just being able to continue to play music like this as as you move into their sixties. I mean, right now, um, you know, a few years in front of them are the guys in Iron Maiden, um, and I think they at this point um, are within heavier music probably the gold standard in terms of let's stay in shape because I mean, and I think it, yeah. it probably hurt that the guy who runs that band was had to make the choice between being a professional athlete and a professional musician. And, you know, it's, and, and, and that ripples down through that band because those guys are like, you know, it's a very physical show. Yeah. You know, runs all over the place. Very Bruce athletic. Dick. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, and they're doing it into their sixties, so it can be done. Um, but I think it's just it's let's all- leave tool let's leave tool out of this the power trip lineup that got announced right Metallica Maiden Ozzy what whatever uh, you know uh, where does Metallica stand in terms of life left in them how old are they they're certainly not ACDC or Ozzy on their last legs no uh, and, and and again I, you know I mean Angus goes super hard physically every night 
but you know, we, we do know, you know, rest in peace. We lost Malcolm Young. Uh, we know that Brian Johnson came very close to permanently losing his hearing and ACDC is not, I love ACDC of course, but it's not as physically demanding uh, to play as Metallica music. So yeah, it's I, Maiden. Maiden's a great. I hadn't thought about Maiden, Andrew, in in relation to this. And you're right; it is nothing's more athletic than than Maiden, and complicated and intense and all of that. And and they are, they're giving they're giving us a good example of how yeah. to do it. And the the story I remember hearing about Bruce Dickinson, and this was this was like a little while back, and and um, I don't know this to be a hundred percent true, but I'm reasonable. I'm sure enough that it probably did happen that I'm comfortable saying it, but. I was told that Bruce Dickinson would get in shape for uh, for live performances because he runs around a lot for a singer. Um, and so what I was told he would do is he would put on rollerblades and go to a velodrome where they were you know, like an indoor place for riding bicycles. And he would just rollerblade around the track with uh, he'd have the live set, just the vo- like the, the backing tracks, you know, the instrumental tracks on an MP3 player and, and headphones and he would just skate around at a high speed and sing the set while he was rollerblading. So that way, and and that requires just an insane amount of cardiovascular effort and just to be able to, you know, and so it makes it easier for him to run around the stage and jump off the monitors and do all of that. And it, um, I, I'm, like I, I have no doubt, you know, there's no reason for me to think that that's not true because he's somebody who would have access to that. He's somebody who works hard enough who would do that. And he's somebody who's main, you know, that that's a band that kind of like they get in shape and they stay in shape. And that's, and I, I don't know what Metallica's offstage regimen is like, but I do know those guys, they do play. I mean, they, they're known to run through their entire set before they go on just to get warmed up. Yeah. And they do seem in good physical shape. And I know, you know, Lars has, has been a runner for a long time and, and obviously uh, Rob and Kirk surf and, and Rob's always seemed like he's in really good shape. And, you know, another band that we should mention is is Priest. And it's Priest kind of gets to cheat uh, in a sense because, you know, we have uh, Ian Hill and the metal god Rob Halford are both in their early 70s. But then when you look at the rest of the Priest lineup, you have uh, Richie in his early 40s, Andy Sneap in his early 50s. And then I think Scott Travis is right around that Metallica age. So yeah. it's almost... Uh, you can't can't really look at priest and go like you know what i mean like as far as how do you age into playing this music because we've really only got two guys up there that are well, did you notice in the, in the in tonight uh in several of the introductions they talked about they can't wait to hear these songs live and mm. metallica is very famously mixes up its set list i'm going to amsterdam gentlemen i'm gonna see metallica in like two weeks right and oh. uh let me what am I going to see live? Yeah. Which of these songs? Lux turn like the four that came out? Like, what are they going to play? Well, they're going to they, are, are, are they doing the two nights there? Like they're doing here? Or is it just the one show? Two it's nights. Two nights. Two nights. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's figure there's 12 songs, right? Um, I would, I would say you're going to hear over the space of the two nights, a minimum of eight and possibly all 12 songs. I was thinking maybe two on one night and two on the other, and just the four songs that have already. Are come you out. going both nights, or are you just going the Five Finger Ice? Good Nine question, Nine. because I I'm working as well, and yeah. Iceland Kills is the headline show in Amsterdam on Friday night. I'm or and I get there on Wednesday, uh, 
Thursday, there's a Metallica concert, not with Pantera, with Architects and Mammoth, yeah. WPH. And uh, then Friday night, Ice Nine Kills Headliner. Saturday, Ice Nine Kills Five Finger Death Punch and the Mighty Metallica. So I will, you know, I'm there as a fan, but I'm also there. Oh, right, because that, that, that shows on a Thursday in Amsterdam, because most of the ones here are Thursday, like Friday and Sunday. Saturday. Yeah, it's Thursday, yeah. Saturday with the Ice Nine Headliner on Friday. I don't know, but you, you what what I definitely do know is I'm going to be texting you boys pictures. <laughs> and dude, the, the, the no our, repeats the way, thing I is... won't I won't tell anybody what the what the name of our text thread is. You guys can say <laughs> anything you want. It's very funny, and well, that text thread's going to get a lot of action in the yeah, middle it of better. It in better. Amsterdam. Well, there's there's you know the no repeats thing is so interesting because as a super fan, as someone who's seen the band a lot. Obviously, I love the idea of no repeats. I love the idea of going to two Metallica shows within a couple of days of each other, not hearing the same song twice. Having said that, there is an argument for the more casual fan or even even someone who's who's seen them a lot, but maybe not as much. If you're if you just go to one of those shows, there's a chance that you're going to see a Metallica show and not hear Master of Puppets, not hear Inner Sandman, not hear you know for whom the bell tolls now like they're you know and again for someone who's seen them a lot like i'm completely fine with going to a show and not hearing one of those songs but there are a lot of fans right where it's like and and for some people it's there's always somebody where it's their first show right I mean, so somebody's gonna go and not hear fixer <laughs> well, here's the thing it's i mean you heard fixer they've said on the show's advertising different show each night so um you know, if, if somehow you miss that, you know, I think part of it is even if it's your first show, um, you should at least go to both. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's um, they've been around long enough and I think it's they're at a point where they can do that. Um, um, and, you know, where they can, you know, they'll I think they'll probably work it out where, you know, there are probably half a dozen fixtures in the Metallica live set. Um, my guess is they'll have at least three per night. Yeah. Well, so let's uh, crown a barbed wire, right? This the side yeah. two opener, right? The disposable heroes, dare I say, right? Uh, the uh, uh, am I right? Is that disposable heroes opened up side he, two? Um, it was actually. I think when James referenced for whom the bells toll when he was introducing that's the song. what. That, no, but yeah, right. But I'm saying in the position, it, it, it's yeah, in the disposable the opener. Yeah, absolutely. Or um, the I, I thought. I think I went out to get like our French fries and <laughs> they were ready or something during that one. And I think I came in and it was a little bit like, uh, uh, took me a second, but, uh, the, that video had some interesting visuals I'll say. And, and I thought that, uh, there was some nice angular metal riffing. I haven't heard that a second time yet. What did you, what did you guys say? I remember liking parts of it. Uh, what did you guys think? Andrew? I thought it was, um, I, I think, well, let, let me talk about the video first. I think of the, um, I think the seven, the, the the first video for 72 seasons was, I think, the one that they spent the most money on and was the one that they've, you know, uh, that, that was like, you know, they wanted the big opening. But I think of the remaining 11 songs, I thought uh, Crown of Barbed Wire was my favorite of the remaining 11 videos. And I think um, I, I get it, like, I, th this is where I can get my obligatory Star Wars reference in. For those of you who watched the Andor series, uh, remember at the very end, after the credits of the last episode, they had that little reveal of all those little, you know, 
uh, components they were building turned out that they were part of the Death Star. And spoiler what I, alert! And and I All felt right. like, hey, the, that that yeah, yeah came we're out way past that ship has sailed. And, <laughs> and also and also the internet spoiling stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, no, the I mean, LA Times, the LA Times spoiled Succession before it had even aired in the West Coast. Can you believe this shit? That's the LA Times. That's not some blog. They should Ryan, by the way, didn't you post on social media or you tweeted or something about somebody spoiling something? Yeah, uh, somebody somebody spoiled uh, spoiled the Mandalorian at like nine a.m. the day that it comes out. You know, I I think that there's, I I do think there's a statute of limitations where things are fair game. Uh, you know, and Andor obviously wrapped up a long time ago. Okay. But what a but, great but show, people... by the way. I I have to say okay. that that was amazing. So anyway, go on. But yeah, the, what, what I thought was is that it reminded me of um, the thing that I liked when it panned out at the end of that scene in Andor when, it, when you realized that they were building the Death Star. And I felt like the video for uh, Crown of Barbed Wire was kind of like if you were like if you were tripping on psychedelics, it was like watching a time lapse video of the Death Star getting built. It was just it was it was dark. It was there were lots of like kind of things sprouting up, but it was like kind of just very just ominous and hallucinogenic and i was like i, I just thought it it set a great vibe um and really matched the song and i thought just from uh a visual standpoint i was just like okay somebody's having a watch somebody's having a bad acid trip and watching the death star get built this works okay <laughs> um but that was uh but i think overall yeah it was a song that moved around a lot and uh it's going to require multiple listens i think it was another one that reminded me a little bit of you must burn in terms of that there were a lot of just distinct parts that were just trying to just piece everything together after hearing it once. Um, I liked it a lot. It was, um, I think it's one of the stronger songs. They gave it the side, you know, the first position, you know, the first, you know, the top of side two, if it's on the cassette or beginning of side three on the, on the record, but, and you're never really, you know, you're, you're not going to, you're, 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 you're going to put one of your, one of your best foot, you know, feet forward with that song. And I think my initial inclination is it's, it um, it's going to be one of, it's going to end up being one of my favorites, but I just don't and know. There's some really good riffy uh, intricate parts. There's some good guitar in there. Uh, and I would say, you know, it feels metal. Now, one of the things that's funny about a band called Metallica that has metal right in it, right? Sometimes they're just a rock band and sometimes they're more metal and sometimes they're more punk and sometimes uh, they're groovy. Sometimes they're bluesy. Right. But uh, I tend to either like the most soulful, revealing, interesting things. When you said, I think someone said, this sounds like the best parts of load. Like, yeah, of course, I love certain parts of load and reload uh, that everyone else likes, too. Right. I love uh, uh, the, you know, we've talked about that stuff before. I like them better than the straightforward rockers. I like the more you know, intricate, yeah. revealing. Intimate. Outlaw torn, yeah. bleeding me. Exactly. Fixer, right? exactly. Yeah. And uh, um, I think that uh, uh, this has elements of uh, a lot of these songs on this record have elements of that side of load and reload. And, uh, uh, you know, it, I'm here for it. That's all I'm trying to say. And Ryan, your take? Yeah, I, I I dug that song. I think that was the one too where where James was talking about. Um, is that the song where he referred to himself as an animal god? 
Was it kind of Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He said, he said, and you can figure out what you think this song's about or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that crown of barbed wire has, has the very, uh, you know, I like the imagery as somebody who is a, a, a casual fan of theology, you know, obviously it brings to mind the, the crown of thorns and the whole idea of a crown of thorns is that it's, you know, it's it's royalty but it's also mocking the royalty simultaneously and there's that whole juxtaposition of uh you know um majesty and and holiness and goodness and uh, ridicule and shame and uh you know there's a a lot of things that thematically hetfield wrestles with in his best work and and admirably and uh relatably so so I, I think that's going to be a song, another grower uh, that uh, we'll be coming back to for sure. In Chasing Light, the thing that jumped out at me the most on that, I mean, it's it's up-tempo. There's some great Kirk guitar soloing going on in that in that song. The video, I didn't quite understand it. I don't know if it was Undertale or, uh, or Pong going on on this. Thing. Oh, yeah. It definitely looked like an Atari was... I thought that was I thought that one was too far gone. That's uh chasing light. I think it was chasing light, right? Where it looked like it looked like an Atari hadn't been connected to the TV. Like black display. and white, right? And it yeah, was, it had like yeah, it was it was um yeah, it felt like it was it reminded me a little bit of like remember Missile Command? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering like, like am I at like some modern art museum where I'm staring at it and I gotta be the one to say Emperor's got no clothes? Like, or is that something like it's representative of the Sonic letter. I don't know what the hell was that. Everyone's listening to us talk about Pong and Missile Command and Atari, and they're like, what, "You guys are talking about Metallica aging? Like, how old are these dudes on this podcast?" <laughs> but what what what's going on with that video? <laughs> Shrug. Uh, yeah, there was. At the end, it said directed by right, and I'm sure there is something very artistic going on there that I didn't quite understand. I did notice that some of the people in my screening in some of the visualizer videos were watching with their eyes closed, not sleeping because they're tapping their foot, nodding their head. They were listening to the music, but uh, I don't know if, if it's a generational thing. There are definitely folks in my theater that would close their eyes if it wasn't a music video, if it was just a visualizer. And uh, it's almost like they didn't want the visualizer to tell them what to think, or you know. Also, it, that video could could trigger uh, epilepsy or something like that. Yeah, yeah, could have been a little There's intense. A lot of flashing. People who are um, sensitive to that sort. But it's it's a really good song. I haven't spent enough time with it. I don't quite know that I understand those yet. But both pieces of Crown of Barbed Wire and Chasing Light struck struck me less the vocal parts and more. The riffing, the harmonic guitar leads, the uh, I think one or the other of them, James again referenced him and Lizzie. It seems to be several places on this record that Kirk and James seem to talk about enjoying locking in together as a guitar duo. And they seem to be really kind of into that vibe on this record. Yeah, which, which, you know, we can't be discounted the pop culture resurgence via stranger things of the song master of puppets which you know they played in its entirety the long unedited version on jimmy kimmel live i believe jimmy kimmel said in the interview with the band that that's the longest musical performance that they've had uh of, of any single single song on the show 
but they of course talked about the stranger things aspect and i feel like the band is a little you know they really embraced that and it seems like it's a little bit of a moment again that being comfortable in their own skin where they're like oh we're you know we're not running from master of puppets and trying to prove that we can do a hundred other things i think they're like there's stuff we're embracing it that's us you know that's still us in here let's do these twin guitar harmonies i do want to say since you mentioned uh crown of barbed wire again um yeah, I listened to Candlemass, one of my favorite bands of all time. Nightfall, yeah. one of my favorite records of all time, on the way to the theater and on the way back to the theater. And as you know, I had a short drive and Candlemass songs are pretty long. So that means I listened to two Candlemass songs and I had to actually sit in my car to finish the second one. But uh, my point in bringing that up is uh, the uh, Crown of Bardwire song had some doom going on. There were some there were some epicus doomicus metallicus. Yeah happening in there and uh, a lot, Ryan, a lot of sabbath pops up seven bazillion times cooler when you in 2023 you're rocking candle mass like oh, that's dude. some good shit i love that what what's what's the guy's uh uh vocalist what's his name messiah markelin yeah. yeah and he like went away or like i he's, i gotta i gotta dive back into he's been the in and out in and out a couple times but what's exciting right now is the guy singing for them now is the original singer who sang on epicus dumicus metallicus and that was the for years the only record he had done and they did they did kind of the kill switch move where it's like okay the guy you like is gone but brought back the very first guy back. that's so good um, well, well to cool. take it back to Metallica, one of the things you mentioned Candlemass, but I'll mention Black Sabbath, right? James had the which, freaking T-shirt. Which if Candlemass were here, and, that's what they would say and, too. <laughs> and, and how many times did the words Black Sabbath get said tonight? I yeah. mean, four or five. They they clearly, I heard Rob comparing himself to Geezer Butler or trying to channel Geezer Butler. Uh, like they clearly are digging on the Sabbath uh, right now, which God bless, who doesn't? right yeah and there's a lot of a lot of a lot of self-referential stuff on this record too like you know or, and references to their influences but you know lyrics like lightning in the nation and uh i believe he says broken beaten scarred in one of the songs yeah and by the way that if darkness has a son if that's not the broken beacon beaten scarred riff uh uh go listen to that the the first yeah. riff that uh, it sounds a lot like it it's, it's one of those videos looked a lot like the unforgiven and the unforgiven too. Also, I don't remember which song it was, but there was one that had a lot of those intense close-ups of Hetfield and, and a little bit of until it sleeps. Um, but there were some the whole, visual references too. No, I mean, the whole art design, while it's interesting and it's conceptual and it's moody, it's too moody. It, it, the whole thing feels like the unforgiven and unforgiven too which is just a lot, right? I feel and like the I aesthetic wish... for this album cycle yeah. is very much like we hired a really cool agency that does creative and visual branding. And, you know, and, and you know, you hire people to do a, a job, right? And it's like not every, every person in every band needs to be in charge of every single thing. But I, this record, more than others, to me, feels like they were like, we're going to get these. I mean, award what's the last I don't time know Metallica had a great album cover? I, mean, oh, I, I, I love the Death Magnetic album cover. Yeah, personally, uh, I definitely Hardwired is a failure for me. I I don't want that on my T-shirt. You know, no, uh, I didn't want it. I didn't want it when Crowbar did it, and I didn't want it when Metallica did it years right. later. <laughs> I yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not loving. I love that they went back to the regular logo. I did like Death Magnetic, but not you know it takes some getting used to. 
Um, you know, it's certainly no ride the lightning or or even kill them all or master of puppets or justice, justice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, black album even, yeah. So I mean, I, we we got past the the well, everybody knows what's actually on the cover of Load, right? So yeah, that's literally not yeah. my favorite album cover, but you know. And you, know are, so, you know what's yeah. so funny is it was honestly years before I connected the album art to the title. And then once I did, I was just like, ah, I wish I'd never made connected those dots. Exactly. Because <laughs> I was just thinking load, like it's a, it's a big load, of, like a truckload of songs. Or like it's a heavy load. I'm carrying a heavy load. I've got a yoke. Yeah. I've got a big weight on my back. I mean, you know, I always thought of it in those terms. I knew what the cover was, but I just, and then it was like, oh, when it hit me, I was like, "Really? Oh, see, <laughs> actually, was, that's stupid." <laughs> I was in England when that came out, and so helpfully the people at Kerrang pointed that out every step of the way. Oh God, so, yeah, Kerrang! Yeah. <laughs> if, if there's something Kerrang loves more than anything, it's a snarky caption to a photo. So I can only imagine. Well, how much did if darkness has the sun? Was I right that that really revealed itself? Like they they told yeah. you. They led me right to it. And they said, yeah. this is going to be great live. And then it just felt yeah. great, didn't it? And it felt Agreed. like it would be great live. Uh, temptation. You know? like, I think they play that for sure. I, 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 I'm going to call the shot that that's a 100% guaranteed to show up in Amsterdam. Um, yeah, I think, like I said, I, I'm going to stick with my, I'm going to stick with my prediction that at least eight of these songs, if not all 12, turn up in the live set. And I think if Darkness Has a Sun is one of the ones that I wouldn't bet against. I think that's a given. Yeah, and Metallica, unlike, you know, there, there's a lot of bands, legacy bands, established acts, bands mm -hmm. with, with hefty catalogs. There's a lot of bands where they put out a new record and there's one or two songs in the set. Metallica consistently, like, they got a new record, you're going to hear it, baby. Iron Maiden style. Like, yeah, they're playing Maiden, it for you. Yeah, Maiden, uh, Rush was another one who played, would generally played at least two-thirds of the new record. And I'm generally a fan of that. Me too. Um, it's, it keeps fans, it keeps fans young and or younger and engaged. And you can, I, you can feel it when, when, when a band is is releasing, continuing to release new material that people are reacting to, and it's not just yes. They're like we we're playing three songs to keep ourselves amused, but we know that none of you want to hear it. Um, it makes all the difference in the world when you have a band that's playing new material that the crowd is completely into and amped. And you can see, you know, Tool is doing that to the hill. Mm -hmm. um, like yeah. two thirds of their live set is, you know, um, you know, they'll, they'll play four of the six songs from the new record, and that takes an hour. And you know, um, and people are into it; they know every word. And that's you were seven years later. What song from Hardwired goes over to best live? Is it Hardwired? Is it Moth into a Flame? Maybe. Right? Or, uh, pretend or not pretend we're dead. Uh, now that we're dead, I don't. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. I think it's probably Moth, Moth oh, yeah. or Hardwired. What's, what's your favorite song on Hardwired, guys? Mm, that's a good Mine's one. Spit Out the Bone. Yeah, I was gonna say Spit Out the Bone will stick around. Um, uh, but I would say uh, Now that we're dead is probably my favorite, and and Spit Out the Bone on Hardwired, like you know, the 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 ninety mile an hour thrash song, is always gonna have a place in a Metallica set. And those two are always going to be there. And I think it'll probably, but having said that, I think it'll be Moth that will stick long-term. Well, and, and so going back to this, um, what, what uh, uh, you talked about Room of Mirrors, I, or Too Far Gone is the next one on the record. I just remember Twin Guitar. This one, I, you know, I was tired. 
by the yeah. time we're getting into yeah. these this songs. is where we're getting into the end justice for all first time through where you're like oh, it's a lot to digest and and yeah. i'm trying to and i know that the last song is 11 minutes long right i know this i have these expectations i'm like okay all right you know i'm, I'm just waiting but saving everything I got left for the last two songs. So these these two far gone and room of mirrors, I don't I, I kind of I don't remember. What too do you guys far think? gone. Too far gone, I think, was the one that I, I remember. This one being kind of more of the load reload era. Um I think if I remember correctly. And I can't, but yeah, same thing. Like I was starting just the just trying to just re- remember all the details and just remain actively engaged. I, I'm remembering. Uh, and I thought it was 11 songs and not 12. So I, I remember thinking, I remember the last two because, uh, you know, I remember it was seeing the sequencing that Roomful of Mirrors and Inamorata. And so this was the one that I didn't remember was there. I thought, we, you know, and so, but um, I remember this one as being more of like the 90s era Metallica, but I can't remember that much else. Same thing as Yeah, that. and Too Far Gone was a little, um, a little punkish, right? Like that one had a little, little, little Ramones, a little Misfitsy. So strangely enough, guys, on Spotify, on my release radar, uh-huh. the song that uh, is being pushed to me right now by the Spotify algorithm is "Too Far Gone." Interesting. It's my lead track. The one, on my the, the one, the one that we're all having the most trouble. The only one we're having trouble really remembering in detail. They're prob- maybe they're over. Maybe maybe they're 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 overhearing us. It's like that. Yeah, uh, they're like, hey, you need to listen to this one. You're forgetting this one. <laughs> no, this this establishes itself at midnight or nine p.m. here. And it's listening uh, to that us must be the focus track. That's usually what I get on that release radar. Am I correct? Does anybody know? Well, this well, the release radar is, but it is also like really tailored to you. So I don't know. If, well, here I'm going to look at the release radar and see if we both got the same focus track. <laughs> That'd be interesting. I'll answer our question. <laughs> Mine might be. Well, you were just listening to Candlemas, so <laughs> okay. Uh, too far gone. That's the first track in my release radar. Same with me. What about you, Andrew? Do you have Spotify? Same. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me let me pull it up. And if you that do, and if you do, that must mean that they're focused on that right now. That's what they yeah. told Spotify to push. Them. I mean, there is an argument that we're all pretty similar, but <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. Oh, it just says album, but it's just pushing the entire album. But no, what? But, but do you have song. that release radar playlist? Oh no, no, I don't I, I never look at that. I just go just uh um I love release radar. Yeah, to me oh. that's where I find out that's the first place I go on Friday. Yeah, exactly. Me too. So anyway, if if I was if I had forgotten, if I wasn't an engaged fan, but I was a dude of a certain age, some of the guys I went to high school with that are, you know, working their regular jobs and not probably paying as much attention to this as I am. They, they probably got pushed that song and that might be a lot of people's taste that they get of this record tonight. Right. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. I guess we'll, we yeah. can watch the numbers over the weekend and see what happens. But, uh, yeah. That's one of the great things about the transparency with Spotify is you can literally just look. Yeah. It's well, doing better. And so, and so like, just to bring this home, right. You, Ryan, you had an affinity for uh Room of Mirrors, so you should say something about it before we. I'm sure really, we really, really loved it, and I, I remember, uh, and, and also really being struck by. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Room of Mirrors was the uh, the the video that scrolled like from the top down. Yes, right. 
Yeah, it was like heaven and hell. That you could see devils and and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and there and you saw the like uh, the little devil with the book of names that was sending people either into the rainbow gate of heavenly stuff or down further. Um, but yeah, I I remember really really loving that song and making kind of a mental note that okay, as soon as soon as I have an opportunity to actually listen to the album, which I'll probably do before I go to bed tonight after we tape this at least a couple of the songs um that, that's gonna be the first song i'm gonna go back to how fucking cool is it that there's a metallica song called room of mirrors now it just sounds cool man <laughs> like if yeah. i if i if i was in high school and i was like you know this many years later i mean i love metallica release day guys it only comes around once every seven years and really yeah it's like a it's like a you know a See, in 2030 bitches well yeah and it was <laughs> now, I, the thing that I saw when I first saw the track listing, I saw Room of, of Mirrors. The first thing it made me think of was Room Full of Mirrors, the Jimi Hendrix song, which made me pull up. Uh, and that's from the Rainbow Bridge album, one of the first posthumous records. So it actually made me pull up some Jimi Hendrix uh, um, this morning and listen to that. But it was um, but it was it was also, too, I was like, oh, you can see that since the next to last track, it's before the big closer that everybody's talking about. Can we call it the penultimate track if we're going to talk about like a TV show? Yes, we. <laughs> yes, the, the, that's the, that, that term is legally approved. Um, <laughs> I always um, consult my legal counsel on these matters and, and um, but I, I thought my, this, my legal this, team's assembled here, so. Absolutely. This was, I thought this was, this was one of my favorite tracks on the record as well. And that says something because like Eric, I mean, I was getting tired at this point. This was, this is a relentless record and it lasts for 77 minutes. And it was, um, and, and yet this one, I, I thought it really stout. I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember specifics other than the video, but I just remember really liking it a lot. I remember James kind of talking about, you know, writing it from the standpoint of the guy who comes off the road being like the rock god and coming home to your family who think mm. that you're not. I think it was it was this one actually. Yeah. What what's the yeah, what, that was like, that was it. So you see yourself thought, reflected back in them, yeah. Yeah. But I thought overall I thought the song moved very, very nicely and um it did a great job of setting up the closer. Yeah. And by the way, I love that you use the word relentless because the headline for the NME review uh said something I remember. I remember. Relentless was in the was in the headline for it. Like Metallica's "Relentless Return" or something like that. But well, yeah, it is. this was a this was a James. This was a song that James what uh, really uh, thought a lot about the lyrics, and we talked about the room of mirrors, your family reflecting back the mirror to you when you come on tour and transitioning between. I'm sure, like we talked about, this stuff will be up on YouTube. But for those who haven't seen that stuff yet. It really was elucid, uh, elucidating or something, uh, illuminating. <laughs> there you go. Uh, of of what was going on there. Can we talk about the Inamorata? Is that how I say it? Inamorata. Inamorata. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the the, the emotion, the emotional intro from Rob on that was incredible. And I, you know, knowing how much I love uh, an epic length. Metallica, a brooding, lumbering, moody, epic length Metallica song. You know, to live is to die. Uh, Outlaw Torn. You know, either the album closer or the penultimate track on some of the classic albums. Um, I, I just was like already like, oh, this is gonna be fun, and it it was. It's a ride, man. I loved yeah, it. And Andrew, what did you that? First of all, the opening riff. Yeah. Sam, it, go ahead. You take it. 
stoner metal, sludge metal. It sounded it, like that could have been off the Stone a Age or Caius or, or something. It could have been off a sleep record or, 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 or right. a high on fire record. It was like, wow, this is okay. This this alone was like, oh, I, I can't wait to annoy my like like everybody else on my floor at work with this one. You know, um, <laughs> you know, this is um, th th this was great, but I think it was also, I want to talk a little bit about how Robert, uh, introduced it. He, he said, this reminded me of kind of like driving in a convertible on the Pacific coast highway, which is, you know, runs along the, the, the coast of California, just North wind of, going uh, through your hair, sun on your face. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking like, like, dri like driving up Malibu and he was talking about surfing. And then he talked in the middle about there's, there's a breakdown in the middle where he does a baseline. And he said it was very, um, you know, he was kind of like trying to, you know, like pay or like he, he was thinking of geezer butler by black sabbath you know or, or geezer butler from black sabbath and sure enough you know the, the 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 riff is very similar of that and i was just thinking well robert why don't you just put geezer butler in the convertible with you when you drive up pch and that way you can just like everything's right there and you can, and you can stop at cheech and chong's house on the way because cheech lives in malibu so, that was the weirdest that was the yeah. weirdest part of the whole yes. thing. I got to go back to that. So when Darkest had it said, he goes, imagine Cheech and Chong going, temptation, yeah. right? That yes. was so good. Dude. And for a minute, by the way, I thought he was talking about a real song, but then he was just like, no, he could hear them singing that part. But for a minute, I thought he was saying it was, that that yes, was Robert, a Cheech and Chong. Yes, yes. Robert did make a, a, a reference to, uh, um, yeah, the, the, was it the chorus in, in uh, which song was it? Uh, was it Darkness? He said it was kind of like one of one of the, uh, you know, che the Cheech and Chong had a couple of songs like when they, you know, they were a stand up comedy act. They had songs and I can't remember which one it was. But uh, but, yeah, it was just like of all things that you thought that they were going to refer to in terms of a reference point. Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Motorhead. Yeah. New Wave of British Heavy Metal or Nawabum. Yeah. Cheech and Chong. No, didn't <laughs> probably see not. So. But the uh, that that bass let's let's go to the breakdown. There's a bass breakdown. To it. I'm sure you don't need to hear me talk about it. You can hear it yourself. But I I mean, beautiful, yeah. gorgeous, and, right? and it's an, it's as Lars pointed out a couple of times. This is the first ten minute plus song. Uh, it runs eleven minutes, and so you know it's it's a big long epic song that um, there were parts of it that were slower, but there were also parts of it. It wasn't like like an outlaw torn that wasn't it wasn't slow the entire way through was it no and i think and, and i think ryan i wonder whether the stranger things uh thing about them getting it did help to get them come maybe this would have been edited down and and a thought that you couldn't have a song that long yeah i don't know but i will say it didn't feel uh, remember he said didn't he say that he goes i hope uh after this you won't feel like it's an 11 minute long song oh yeah yeah Lars large said i hope i hope it's the quickest 11 minutes of your life yeah and so, honestly it didn't feel like and there wasn't a point where i was like okay this thing no. needs like it it works that's like almost every song on saint anger very quickly reaches a point where you're like okay <laughs> yeah. well i think and, and the other reason why it works is that there's only one of them on the record right you know? And so, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of the difference, like, you know, just thinking Iron Maiden, like the, the first time Iron Maiden tried putting an 11 minute song on a record, it was Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And there were, you know, five to seven minute songs on the rest of it. And then that one stands out. And so and, and this is not dissimilar where they, you know, they have one song that really, really swings for the fences in terms of length and let's let, let's 
let's add things as in as opposed to cutting them out. And it works because they kept all the good parts, you know, they, they, like everything that they kept was really good. And it actually makes a nice bookend to the record is as different as as completely different as it is to 72 seasons where it started off i think this was just kind of an ideal way to wrap it up and even after you know just ha- getting pummeled for you know 66 minutes this still sounded like i was like okay we you know this everybody rallied for this you know yeah. and so i think it was that speaks to the strength of the song well, guys, let me ask you one question. Is this the last Metallica album? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, until I, I think until they physically can't do it anymore, I don't see them stopping. Yeah, but that this is a big question because of first of all, how uh how ambitious they are in terms of the different projects that they, they, they get involved in, whether it was, you know, when they did the festival, it's, you know, it's uh, working with Stern pinball to do a pinball machine, showing up at Comic-Con, doing the 3d movie with the narrative, you know, all these different things that they've done. And then now we have this, you know, these weekenders that they're going to be doing for the next two years, you know, it, it's maybe it, it's, I think the answer to the question isn't so much like how much longer will they still be going? Cause I think that is at least another 10 years, if not more, like you said, until they, until they physically can anymore. But given this, their pace and their scheduling and the other things they do, what's the likelihood of them carving out the time, you know, cause I think the pandemic also had a lot to do with this record. I think, I think there were, there was a lot of um, creativity sparked by, by them being at home and, yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, of course, I like to think that it's not the last studio record from Metallica, but it, it very, very well could be. I'm going to call the shot right now, and hopefully this will live on on the internet forever. Two more records after this. Two more but records. You're going to get another one quicker. I just, my instinct feels that the next one will come in 2025 or 2025. And they did say they wrote a lot for this. So I right. think that there's probably still a lot to come. Maybe, maybe a they'll reload. even surprise drop it like, uh, you know, real quick. Like, I don't know. I feel like you're going to get one quicker, dramatically quicker, at least half the time, which is still a long time. And we it's, should say for the sake of clarification, this is not based on any inside info. Based on no inside info. This is just based <laughs> on gut, having fun, uh, prognosticating. This information hasn't been doctored in any way. Right, Exactly. But the uh, I think that you'll get one quicker, and then I feel like way late in the game they'll be the one that will be billed as the final. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, if, if they go ten more years, there'll be at least one more record because they, um, they, they, it's very clear that they have gotten to a place where they enjoy doing this. They enjoy putting themselves um, into the to the point, you know back into the in, into the okay here's a blank piece of paper and a pen and there's a guitar um go ahead let's make another one you know they don't they haven't had to make a record uh for a long time and they're doing it because they want to and given that you know they seem to be in a rhythm of doing a record about every five years so if they're sticking around for another 10 years which which at least you know that's at least one more record and i think Eric could be right. There could be, you know, 
could possibly be too. Plus, they could also do like make normal people length records and do like you know they made a forty-five minute album. They could, I mean, you know, they uh, which they they will probably never do, but they could easily do two more if they made normal length records. All right. So and then and then I'm sorry to hit you with these questions, but these are what no, I like in my mind. Um, where does this sit in the in the catalog in terms of ranking early, early, just the earliest mm -hmm. ranking? Here's what I can tell you from my perspective. It's I can for sure say it's better than Reload. I can for sure say it's better than St. Anger. It's definitely better than Lulu. I don't even know if that counts. I don't count it. That, well, that, I, uh, I, that, I, that I, is the single I, album in the Metallica Lou Reed discography. Different discography. Right. I think <laughs> that it probably it could be better than now the question is like it, the next tier for me is like is it better than Hardwired? Is it better than Death Magnetic? And then is it better than Love? Right? And I'm not sure. I think it probably, I probably I may end up liking this better than Hardwired. Uh, which I did like. Uh, uh, Death Magnetic gets slogged. This production is way better. You can hear the bass. This isn't that problem, right? Uh, uh, I really like Death Magnetic more than most people. I, I like the first couple songs. I like the end of the line and Broken, Beaten, and Scarred. And and I, I'm a fan of it. I think I all might... Nightmare all Nightmare Long, I would put up against anything. That's I think amazing. I might like Death Magnetic better than this, but I can't, you know, obviously, this is limited information. There's no way this touches Master of Puppets or Ride the Lightning or Kill Em no, All. Guitar, the Guitar Hero Master of Death Magnetic is the definitive way to listen to that record, in my opinion, by the way, because it got mastered differently, for, and that's floating oh, around out there. Yeah, that's... And it's not as brick-walled and insane loudness wars as... Uh, as you know, the more uh, widely known. I like Beyond Magnetic, some of those songs too. I just like that era. I liked where their heads was that were at. You know? I, I, I like Death Magnetic a lot. I loved it a lot at the time. I found that um, I didn't go, I don't go back to it the way that I still go back to Hardwired. Um, I'll just jump in because I think my ranking is is very similar to yours. I can, easy, I can easily safely say that the, I love the record much more than Saint Anger. Um, I can say I like it better than Reload. There's some Reload songs that I really, really love, but as a whole, I definitely like this better. And yeah, much like you, that then brings it into the like, well, where do I put it against Hardwired, against Death Magnetic, against Load? Um, it's going to take me a while to figure it out. I think I will end up liking it more than Death Magnetic. Whether or not I'll like it more than Hardwired, I don't know. Um, and as you know, longtime listeners of this podcast know, I am a fan of load. Uh, so likewise, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to say if I will like this better than death magnet or load, but I can safely say already that, um, or sorry, that, that it, it's tough to say whether I'll like it more than hardwired or load. Um, I can, I so can safely have, say that we I will have like 11 it. studio albums. This is clearly yeah. in the top 10. <laughs> yeah it's clear it's clearly in the top eight um yeah cool. i mean it's better than it's better than san anger obviously um and i'll say by the way i like the song saying anger i love seeing those live when they show up I, in the i don't i don't mind frantic when it shows up live i don't mind and, and you know i like all within my hands when it's acoustic you know it's you know 
as the as as they say in office space about Michael Bolton, I celebrate the whole catalog. I'm gonna go out on a limb. This is better. This is this is it's not there are certain tracks on hardwired. I think Moth really stands the test of time. I love Spit Out the Bone. And I think the title track uh probably I, I like Lexa Turner better better than Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Me too. I like Spit Out the Bone better than uh 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 the uh You Must Burn. Those are my favorite song. I, I think I'm calling my shot. You Must Burn is my favorite song on this album, followed by Inamorta. And those two, I like. And as a, as a whole, I think this record's better than Hardwired. But some of the highlights on hard, Hardwired are better than some of the lowlights. You know what I mean? It's going to take some time to sort it out. Andrew, what do you think? I think I, I think it's in that... Um... You know, it, I, I agree with you. For me, it's in the same tier as as Load, Death Magnetic, and Hardwired. I'll probably like it more than Hardwired long long term. Um, I, um, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll need to live with it for a while. But I think that um, with Death Magnetic, I think just song for song, I think a lot of it is as as Ryan said, like the brick walling kind of affects my ability, affected my ability to just play that record over and over and over again, and uh, you know. Maybe at some point there will be, it sounds like the Guitar Hero version is the way to listen to that. But um, I think this one, um, that one actually had a ballad on it. You know, um, what, what was the first song you heard from that record? It was uh, uh, The Day That Never Comes, right? That's the first yeah. song we heard, right? Yeah. And it was like, that was Wait, what's going yeah. yeah, that was weird. There is no ballad on this record, guys. Are you cool with that? Unless Inamorta is a ballad. It, no, it's not. Okay. Um, it's, um, that's an 11 minute epic. Um, but no, and I think that's the, that's the one thing is that this is, and I think, you know, overall, when you see the reviews of the record, that's, that's coming up is that if, you know, this is not a record, you know, this is going to be for, if somebody's a casual fan or like this is their entry point for Metallica, this is something that basically this album kicks down the door and just beats you over the head. And, you know, it's, you know, there's, um, it's not like Enter Sandman where there's a catchy riff to like loop in people or even Battery where there's, you know, an acoustic riff to lull you before this thing slams in or whatever. This is, it starts intense and pretty much stays intense. And the closest thing to, I mean, there is no slow song on this record. I mean, you have, you know, a couple of mid pacers, you know, I think part of that's what makes You Must Burn stand out so much, but and I think that's Is there an acoustic guitar on the record. I don't think there was. Oh, I don't think there was. So wow. that's, yeah. And so the old clean channel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I, I don't think, think so. Just that's going to make it. I think it's going to be one of it's, it's going to be interesting to see where um, are people, you know, I don't know how many people that listen to records all the way through, you know, anymore, you know, like I, I, I think it's, it's, I know I still do it. I don't know how many people do, but boy, is this, this is, there, there's a lot, you know, this is an exhausting record to listen to start to finish. And, and, and I think that's, that's a deliberate creative choice on their part. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that affects things over time. But, but we did it. So you don't have to, and we spent X amount of time speaking about a record that's X amount long. And we're saying it's exhausting to listen to, but to talk about it, there you go. And by the way, 
Like, uh, we guys, ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did it so you don't have to. We sat down <laughs> on the night of release and we 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 took in the entire 77 minutes and then jumped on to do this. And uh, Ryan, and, th- and this, and this will be the first, the, the quickest, you know, Metallica has got some firsts with this record. First 11 minute plus song. This is going to be the quickest uh, an episode of Speaking Destroy has ever been posted relative to when it was recorded because I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, do the slightest polish ever on on this bad boy and throw her up immediately after we're done. So this will be live. I hour. can't wait. I can't wait because I feel like that gives us the opportunity to to really live with your listeners and and please everyone forgive me for all the stupid things I said on this podcast because. This is just literally just like most of these songs. I heard them like right now, tonight for the very yeah. first time. That's so the beauty of it. That's why we want, that's why we wanted to jump on and do this right after we went and did this theatrical thing. And, you know, who knows, you know, we'll have, we'll have a 72 seasons revisited, you know, maybe a year into the tour. And after we've seen some shows and sat with the record and we'll, we'll come back together and we can regroup after the August shows that are here in LA. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, we'll we'll yeah. regroup. There's always Metallica for us to regroup for. This is the, this is the uh, what was it on the Mandalorian this week? The Shadow Council. Yes. This is, this is the this is the Speaking of Destroy Shadow Council. So. Yes. And I'm yeah, and I'm looking forward. I mean, I I'm I'm hopefully um, the uh, U.S. Postal Service will bring good things into the mail tomorrow because I did order the co- I did order physical copies of the record. Nice. Um, I skipped which, the cassette. Which formats did you get? Did you order a cassette? I did not order a cassette because I no longer have a cassette player. Yeah. Uh, but I did get the CD because I still do have a CD player in the car, and and I got the uh, the Metallica site had the black had the the gray marbled vinyl, which was a nice touch. So, and I think that one you can only get through the website. And I think I, I think I saw somewhere was either one of the big box retailers. Um, had a red marbled vinyl variant that you could only go get by going to that store. I can't remember which one it was. It's but. smart. I mean, dude, that ghost record, the ghost record has been selling like a monster considering, you know, relative to how rock records sell these days. And it had a huge first week. And a big part of that was because there were so many vinyl variants that were so like you know exclusive to different retailers and you just hit me mr uh uh speak uh mr uh stream and destroy how many copies is this gonna sell the first week you know metallica was one of the last bands on hardwired because they're constantly changing the rules of how records can be counted and all that right hardwired was one of the last records where they did like ticket album bundles that counted towards SoundScan, and uh, you know, Hardwired ultimately, even in today's era, uh, went platinum, which um, you know is wild. I mean, of course, it's Metallica, but it's still wild for a rock record, for a metal record. Um, I, let's see, what was. I want to say Hardwired was around 300,000 first week, and that was 2016. And they did a big media blitz, and, you know, Hetfield did Joe Rogan. 124,000 copies first week. Is that that your? 79,000 copies. I don't know. Like, I have no freaking idea. I mean, if it was 300,000 in 2016, but there was also the ticket bundling and, and, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we talking maybe a hundred thousand. I, I I said two numbers right to cover my ass. I said one twenty four and seventy nine. So somewhere, I, if this is the price is right, it's got to be in between without going over. Right? That's that's what I think. Somewhere in the eighty to one twenty five range. I'll, I'll I'll go with at least a hundred. I'll, I'll I'll split the difference. I think I think a hundred's um, given how long the pre-release campaign has, has, has been going and that, you know, they've had, I mean, but they put out Lux Eterna in what, December? Mm. Like they put it out what a couple months before yeah. the all within my hands show, yeah. a couple weeks before all within my hands. So they've had five months um, and, and, you know, they've had whatever, you know, the, the, the pre-orders or whatever. So I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go with a hundred thousand. Let me, let me drop this rock and roll comparison on you guys. Fallout Boy, Pete Wentz, good friend of mine, and uh, or old friend of mine, I should say. I've known him a long time, and uh, he's a big Metallica fan. They just put out a record, and going back, their second album in 2005 did 168,000 first week. 2007, 260,000. 2008, 449,000. 2013, their big comeback record after a five-year gap, 154,000. Two years later, they put out a record that did 192. And now we're talking, uh, you know, uh, pure sales. 2018, they did 117. 2023, 49,000. So I, I feel like it's safe to say that Metallica may have a similar type of drop. You know, so for Fallout Boy to go from 2018 to 2023 to go from 117 to 49, we're talking from 300. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say between 100 and 150,000 first week. Uh, it'll be interesting. One thing I can tell you is a big, very big music manager said to me this week when talking to their also very large band, uh, Metallica's everywhere right now. That's what they said. They are. And they are everywhere. They're everywhere. They're on Howard Stern. They're on Jimmy Kimmel. They're in the movie theaters. They're everywhere. So you can't set up a record with more than this. But I don't think this record is very immediate, except for Lux Eterna, and except for yeah. maybe You you Must Burn or whatever. I, and I think that fans have heard these songs, but they don't understand them. They don't feel like people are tapping their toes humming the tunes right except for lux eterna and yeah and, and you guys that, know with stream and destroy i do and, and i think you know uh, no disrespect to radio or you know the the necessity of um of working songs at radio and what those charts mean and everything but you know i really look at the uh song charts around the world and in america on spotify and I'm going to look right now. Unfortunately, by the way, the beginning of March, they stopped. Spotify stopped offering a genre specific chart. So you can't look at rock or, or let alone metal anymore. You got to just look at everything. But having said that, I'm looking at the Spotify song charts that came out last Friday. Scrolling, scrolling, looking for Metallica songs, looking for a rock song. Uh man, I am <laughs> I am 
deep scrolling and haven't found a rock song yet in the top 200. Oh boy. It's a different times are different, man. Yeah. It's brutal. <laughs> that's, that, 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 that's that I, I can sum the whole thing up in four words. And that was them. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but this is 72 seasons uh, theme of looking back as we all get older and look at, life and how things change through differently. You see things through a different lens and different stages of your life. Metallica has been a constant in my life. I discovered Metallica at 13 or 14 years old and uh, I never looked back. And uh, as a, as a man of a certain age right now, a certain place in life, uh, I only get a day like today uh, every six, seven years. I spent uh, the last Metallica, the hardwired release day. I went to John Berklin's house with Doc Coyle, with uh, their band Bad Wolves that was just taking off. And we sat down and made it an event and hung out and drank beers like teenagers and listened yeah. to the record together for the first time. And uh, uh, here we are X number of years later. I'm so glad to be doing this with you guys, man. I'm so glad that you guys, uh, uh, Metallica brings us together. It's it's a talisman in my life, to be completely honest with you. And uh, uh so in that sense, I'm not a biased listener here, right? I mean, I'm not an objective listener. I'm quite biased. Yeah, nor, nor, nor should we be. Yeah, yeah. I'm a w well said and feeling is extremely mutual. And, you know, there's a lot written about and said about uh, the, the loneliness of, of adult men and how, uh, you know, just with, with life responsibilities and, and all of that, like um, maintaining important relationships. And, uh, you know, these are both, very important friendships for me just you know not only as colleagues but just as as humans and you know eric you've you've brought andrew and i into your into your family we're friends with your family and uh, you know like once we stayed at your brother's house uh you know i you know your your nephew and i follow each other on instagram and uh yeah and it and metallica is just such a getting you know little a little emotional here but it's just it's, it's something it's, that this connects is my you know? spinning top if this was inception you know what i'm saying yeah. Right? No, yeah. It's, it's sort of it's either objective enthusiasm or subjective professionalism, whichever one you like. But um, <laughs> you know, it's not worth listening to somebody that's just you know we're not going to spend two hours talking about something that we don't like. I mean, you could, but that would just make for an angry podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no. yeah, and, and and to your point, Eric, as I was going into the theater, I texted my buddy Matt Reese just the you know uh candle mass lyrics just candle mass lyrics uh and you know he's one of my oldest friends that i'm still i think he's actually my oldest friend that i'm in regular contact with and we've been friends since middle school and we were in our first bands together and we went to all these metal shows together and um you know yeah there is there is something about metallica this continuity of you know walking into the movie theater to see this and it's release date and my first thought walking in is I got. I'm gonna text Reese and let him know I'm listening to Candlemass, and then the first thing I'm gonna do when I get out is I'm gonna hop on with Andrew and Eric and talk for hours and hours about the record we just heard. So it, it is, yeah, it's a pretty amazing constant uh, through through our lives, you know. And and Justice for me was the first Metallica record where I was a, a huge huge fan, and and was you know reading about magazine interviews and anticipating and went to go see them and heard harvester of sorrow live before the record was out and uh you know and, and yeah have that through line of every metallica release date 
from justice till 72 seasons is uh yeah it's I, I was standing a in a room watching the new the chicago bears play the new england patriots in the super bowl with refrigerator <laughs> barry yeah year old kid the, the super bowl out. shuffle we, we broke <laughs> away from the super bowl party and the guy played me this beat up cassette tape of ride the lightning and it, i never looked back wow yeah and i think i mean we're lucky we all still we all still get to do this and celebrate um you know we're all still here we're all get to celebrate new metallica records and we get to do it with uh with one another and 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 it's and and we also get to make a recording of it and put it out where this is a this was a conversation we could have and would have had if even even if there wasn't a podcast exactly and that's the whole reason the podcast exists a hundred percent they say make the thing that you want to hear and uh and these are conversations it, um i want to have anyway so it's just putting a point you know a place to park it where it feels productive and and getting to share it in with other people and and which is a great opportunity to say thanks to everybody who's listening who made it this far into this episode who supports the show and uh now something a, a good opportunity to say something i don't think i've ever said in 100 plus episodes which is thank you james thank you lars thank you kirk thank you rob thanks ron mcgovney thanks dave mustaine thanks the late great cliff burton whose spirit persists in the band and of course huge thank you to jason newstead uh, one of the greatest most intense live performers to ever pick up a rock and roll instrument and uh you know cliff and peter and everybody involved in the metallica family keeps this machine moving and gives us this great thing to talk about thanks thanks all y'all we appreciate oh, yeah. you and also thank to you ryan and, and and also thanks to all the crew people that kept that show on the road and keep it going out too. There's way too many to talk about, but they know who they are. Yeah, and a bunch of them were in the credits tonight, which I thought I thought that was really classy that the road crew was in the credits for yes. the album movie. Yes, very cool. All right, thanks, gentlemen. Uh, off to Never Neverland we go. Yes. <laughs> Good night, guys. Get some sleep. Take care. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.